Welcome, everyone, to a fresh episode of Draft on Tap, and I'm really looking forward to this one because we have one of my favorite barroom guests, Mark Schofield, who will be joining us in just a minute. I just want to let everybody know that next week is going to be probably the biggest week of the year for us here at the barroom. Not only do we have programming, fresh programming, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday leading up to the draft, but we are going to cover the entire draft live, all seven rounds, all 200-plus picks. We will be here live, and then on Sunday, I will die. (laughs) So uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. You will get alerts every time we are live with fresh programming. So let me bring in the guys one at a time here. Let me start with Danny Shimon. How are you, Danny? I am getting excited and get pumped up. A week from tonight, we'd be uh, we'll know what's going on with the Bears in terms of their their you know, their first round pick. And you just mentioned that 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 you'll die after after uh, the, the draft. I, I think after Mr. Relevance made, I'll, I'll probably pass out before you. <laughs> There's gonna be a lot of passed out people on Sunday, no doubt. Uh, I mean, there is no Neil Stopchinsky nodding his head in agreement. He'll be passed out on Sunday as well, huh? Passed out in multiple ways, sir. Multiple ways. <laughs> hey, I'm going to guys... ask you on that on that open that that, that kick-ass video that you have. Thank you. What was I going on and carrying on about? <laughs> you know, do you remember? I Wait. I don't remember. I think you know. I, I remember scrolling through and looking for clips. And when you did that hand movement, I said, "Bingo, man! That is awesome." But I don't remember what you were saying. I think you were talking about some offensive linemen getting out on the run. We needed some uh, speedy linemen. Maybe talking about Braxton Jones at the time. Whatever it was, it was a great little I think, visual. I think it was he was just redoing his his uh, dance when the Cubs won the World Series, doing his little dance. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. Right. All right, let's bring Mark in now. There he is. There's Mark Schofield. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, friends. It is great to be here. It is great to be one week away from the draft. And I'm actually envious that you guys are going to get to go to sleep when this draft is over because (laughs) Mark passes the baton from the NFL season to the F1 season. And so – the draft ends. I'm right into Azerbaijan, and so I'm gonna. I, I cover F1 no. now as well for the work I do at SB Nation. Very excited that next week before Azerbaijan, I'm gonna get to talk to Lando Norris from McLaren for a piece that I'm working on. So that's gonna be super fun next week as well. So you guys will be sleeping. Kudos to you guys for getting to do that. I'll be watching the Azerbaijan Grand Prix on Sunday. So no, <laughs> no rest for the wary here. As will I. And just before the show, we were talking about that beautiful hat, the old Patriots like logo. Like old Pat Patriot, you know. Uh, and, and as I was saying, there's probably a one, we'll say a nine-month window where I'll get to wear this with any semblance of pride, um, depending on how things go a week from tonight. Because 
I have a bad feeling about how things are going to go a week from tonight from a New England Patriots perspective. And we don't need to dive into that because I feel bad enough about it as it is. You don't need to rub my faces into it a little bit. But you can if you want. I understand. I'm here for whatever you need. Hey, hey we, we can't rub anyone's faces into our arena. We, we've been going through some. I'm sorry, um, Danny. What happened on Monday night, um, I don't know, a couple of months ago? Because um, I seem to remember a game in Foxborough that had me – toss it and turn in for the next couple of hours. And so you oh, guys can that, certainly brag to me at least. Th that's when uh, the Bears find out that Justin Fields can actually win with the football. Yeah, yeah. imagine that. It's so great that the Bears found that out just as that game took place. <laughs> that was awesome. Well, we're going to talk about Justin Fields later, but I'm going to give it uh, to Danny and Neil, who are going to pepper you with some questions about the first and second round prospects that you've looked at and maybe some of the other quarterbacks, because I understand, Mark, that you've looked at most of the quarterbacks available in this draft. So that should be a, a fun discussion. I'll turn it over to Danny first. Danny, take it away. Brother. Yeah, again, thanks, Mark, for jumping on. As Aldo said, you know, you are our our barroom quarterback whisperer here. So if you have any questions about quarterbacks, we, we come to you first. So we're glad to have you on here tonight. So obviously a week from tonight, draft night, uh, you know, a lot of excitement here in Chicago, obviously with the first pick being traded now and then down to number nine and so on and so forth. So is there anything particular, you know, Bears related or not Bears related that, that you're looking forward to in this first round, things that you think could happen that could surprise most of, you know, the nation yeah i mean it's it's amazing because i wrote a piece maybe i think two weeks ago that the draft begins at three because everything we saw you know say march into the start of april said we were going to get quarterback quarterback to start this draft and then arizona sort of started the draft with that third pick because do they trade out who comes up is it indianapolis just one spot is it a team like say las vegas from seven tennessee from 11 Minnesota from 23 was a storyline that was being promoted for a little bit. And then that's sort of been flipped on its head in the past, say, seven days. And I don't know if it's just we're getting bored and we need the draft to be here because we're running out of storylines or if there's legitimate truth to the idea that Houston could go off script at two that Houston could go with, say, not just an edge player, but Tyree Wilson at two. And the fact that it's people like Lance Zerline, who's certainly plugged in in the Houston area, as well as the Matt Millers and the Adam Schefters of the world that are giving this idea some legs, makes me think there's more to it than just boredom and we're running out of stuff to talk about. And then the other thing is the idea that the next quarterback taken might not be C.J. Stroud. Because it does seem like, look, everything seems to be pointed to Bryce Young at one, which, okay, that, that's what Carolina wants to do. They're all the power to them. So you would think that Stroud would be the next guy at two, but maybe not. Maybe it's Will Levis. Maybe there's an idea that Anthony Richardson could be the next quarterback taken. And so I think as we've gotten closer to the draft, now one week out, the game has changed. The draft seems to potentially begin at two with Houston as the Texans could go certainly off script and wildly off script and taking a guy in Tyreek Wilson where, look, if you want to draft a, a pass rusher, Will Anderson is staring you in the face. I remain a huge fan of Will Anderson, his game, his potential. Tyree Wilson is an intriguing player, but I would rather have Anderson. But as we get closer to it, it seems like the game certainly has changed with that pick at two. So I'm, I'm going to come back to Anderson Wilson because I, I have the flip side uh, uh, feeling on, on those two players. But just going back to the quarterbacks real quick. I wouldn't do it in terms of Bryce Young. I know he's got the best tape of the of the four or five guys in the first round, potential first round guys. He's got the best tape. But 
man, 5'10", sub 200 pounds, that scares the heck out of me, especially given what they gave up to go get number one. Uh, if what is what are your quarterback rankings in terms of one two one two and then is there a big gap between Young and Stroud and then the rest of the field or do you think it's closer than most think? Well, I go Stroud, Young, Richardson, Levis. Like that's my four with Hooker at five, and you know I, I think the first four are the ones that are most likely to go in the first round, the ones that I'd be comfortable drafting in the first round. I guess in an isolated situation, I could see Hooker at the end of the first, and I think it's really Stroud and Young, and then a gap, and then Richardson and Levis. Um, no, I, I, it's not like a year where there's somebody that people are talking about that I'm just like, no, 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 I don't see it. At least with the top four. I mean, if you want to tell me that Will Anderson is that Will Levis is your QB one, I don't agree with it, but I can at least see a semblance of an argument and better arguments for Richardson. I think as potentially QB one, I think Stroud and Young are in a class by themselves. Stroud is my QB one, the ball placement, the the ability to like. If you say, for example, a quarterback has to make 75 types of throws, right? Throws to the flat, layered throws, throws over the middle. He can throw, say, 73 of those, no problem, no questions asked. Maybe on some layered throws like seams where you've got two high safety looks and you've got to get it over the trail defender but drop it in in front of the safety. He might struggle with that at times because he trusts his ball placement a little bit too much. But that's really nitpicky stuff. And then you saw what Stroud did against Georgia. So you add that all that's together, a, and yep. that's a great quarterback. But, look, if you want to say it's young, then Stroud, I get that too. You know, and we got a comment there from Cliff that he has uh, young at the top of it. I get that. Like you said, Danny, it's incredible tape. The risk becomes stuff that we can't really put, you know, sort of a, a layer on, a value on, which is how comfortable are you drafting somebody that measured in at 5'10 and an eighth, weighed in at 204, we all know is playing at 195. Like right. he's not playing at 204. And nope. it was very interesting when the Panthers had their sort of pre-draft press conference earlier this week because Fitterer was loaded for responses for everything, right? Saying guys naturally gained weight. He had all these Russell Wilson stats in front of him, how much weight Russell Wilson gained over his career, how many batted passes Russell Wilson. So Yun's the pick at one. It certainly seems that way because he was ready to go with all those those rebuttals. You have to be very careful with him. Like you can't use him the way you might want to use a quarterback in today's NFL. You certainly can't use him like a team might want to use Justin Fields, for example. You're not going to run him a ton. You're not going to run him a lot in between the tackles. You're going to run him to the edges. Now, to his credit, Young's done a very good job in the SEC at finding throwing lanes and protecting himself and protecting his body and sliding and getting out of bounds and things like that. The NFL is a different game. I mean, the NFL is a, a much different game, and so. They're going to have to be smart with him. They're going to have to make sure they get their best five in front of him because you're going to want to protect him. They're going to have to put in a scheme where it's probably going to be a lot of quick game, a lot of spread, get the ball in and out of his hands as quickly as possible. Let him be a point guard. We've seen, we've all seen, you know, the Steph Curry, CP3, you know, people have gone back and said John Stockton. There have been a lot of basketball comps for Bryce Young. That's how you're going to want to use him at the next level. Let him sort of create let him distribute, let him get the ball out of his hands quickly. And so I wouldn't do it. Like, honestly, if it were me, I'd feel much more comfortable. Stroud's my one anyway, but I'd feel much mm -hmm. more comfortable with Stroud. I understand that the way the game is trending and creating outside the pocket and off the structure, Young did that on a more consistent basis than Stroud. So that certainly helps the argument there. I would go Stroud. If it's eventually Young, like it seems to be, I, would, I, I can get it. I would be much more comfortable going Stroud. 
Yeah, for me too. I mean, it's just because I have a thing where I just don't trust quarterbacks under six feet tall. And, and everyone goes to the Russell Wilson example, but that was how many years ago? And Russell yeah. Wilson was a third round pick. So that was more of an anomaly than, than, than a trend. So I, I don't I don't get that whole thing. But the, the Georgia game really put Stroud over the top for me. And, and I thought, you know, if he could play like that versus that type of defense, I think he could handle next level stuff as well. But, you know, going back to Levis real quick, I, I think he's getting a bad rap for his 2022 film. If you go back to 2021 where he had Liam Combe, and, and NFL offensive corner currently, I think you saw on the center, you saw his ability when we, you know, he had the, he had the bad toe, toe, turf toe injury this past year, I believe it was, where he just couldn't run anymore. I think you, you see some of that athletic ability. Obviously, you see the you see the, uh, the you know the strong arm and all that stuff. I just think he's got a chance to really you know surprise some people. And I, I've heard that he comes across cocky in interviews, and that might be turning some teams off. But I'm I'm just curious to see in terms of his 21 tape. There's obviously a big difference between Will Levis 2021 and, and Will Levis 2022. Yeah, there's a massive difference between 21 and 22 for Levis. And I think Levis is one of those rare examples we get in the evaluation game where you could easily make the case that the situation certainly will improve for this player when he gets to the NFL because that 22 situation was difficult, I think, for him. They had lost some talent to the NFL both on the offensive line and certainly with a wide receiver that went in the first round. You had a, a change in offensive coordinators from away from Cohen who, like you said, NFL-type offense, NFL coach. Now, to Scangarello, who doesn't have the best reputation, let's just say that. There's been a lot of people that have said some things about Scangarello and his coaching ability that, frankly, you know, they weren't surprised when we saw a little bit of a step back from Levis. And so, you know, there's that to be considered. There's also the fact that, like you said, the injury. Like, it, he was banged up at times, couldn't move as well. And so, now, he's my QB4, but it's not like I think he's undraftable or something crazy. Like, he's a first-round pick. I'd be stunned if he's there at 11. I'd almost be stunned if he's there at nine still. Um, now he might still be because of, you know, how this first round, this top 10 might play out. I think he's a very good NFL prospect. Got to see his throwing session in person at the combine, and you could see the arm talent is there. You could see the way the ball pops out of his hands. He's a very explosive athlete. That's going to help with torque and the throwing motion and velocity. And so, I think he might be a bit more of a scheme specific type of quarterback, you know, a Shanahan type of system, something that we've seen a lot of teams move towards, like for example, Tennessee might make a lot of sense for him, might be a good fit for him and he might need the right offensive system. But I certainly think he's a quarterback that deserves to go inside the say top 15, top 10. He's a very good NFL prospect in the 21 film. You know, when he gets drafted, the team that turns in that card, they're going to say, look, look at 21, look at the situation and how that changed to 22. We can get him back to the guy we saw in 21 pretty quickly and build from there. And then just kind of flipping it towards the Bears now, obviously, you know, the hope here is, is a defensive player, one of the top three, you know, Wilson, uh, Carter or Anderson drops. I, I doubt that's going to happen. And the other hope is obviously the offensive lineman, whether it's Paris Johnson Jr., Skaronsky, locally from Northwestern or even Broderick Jones. So how do you see that that playing out? And you, what do you see the options for the Bears at number nine? And if, if Jalen Carter is there, would you would you take him if you were the Bears? 100%. Like, absolutely. If Jalen Carter is there, you run to the podium. Like, and, you know, it's interesting. You know, I, I know that there's a lot of sort of off the field character, red flag. I can just go by what I see between the lines. And what I see between the lines is a game changing player at the defensive tackle position. I mean, you watch that TCU game, and it felt like TCU was starting every play sort of say minus two, right? Felt like every play that Carter was on the field, they were starting the two yards deep. 
Max Duggan was, you know, trying to take the snap with Jalen Carter in his lap. And so like, if he's there, it's a run to the podium situation. Um, and he might be there. I mean, I've heard some rumblings that, you know, Detroit might not be a fan of him if he's there for them, you know, when they're on the clock at six, maybe you do see him slide down to nine. It would be an absolute home run pick, I think, because he's a game-changing type of player at the defensive tackle spot. And the other thing to consider is, look, as we see more and more too high safety looks, as we see more and more of keeping both safeties deep and playing with lighter boxes, you got to have a guy up front that can play gap and a half. you got to have a guy up front that can steal a gap for you in the run game. That's Jalen Carter. I mean, yep. that's exactly what he is. And if you're going to lead into more of that on the defensive side of the ball – He's the perfect pick. Now, if they end up going offensive line, I like Skaronsky a lot. Um, talk to Brandon. Tackle or guard? I like him anywhere, honestly. I think he can play tackle in the NFL. Um, he could probably uh, – Brandon Thorne, who I know extremely well and does such great work, you know, offensive line-wise. I was standing next to Brandon when Skaronsky was talking at the combine at the podium, and Brandon was telling me, look, worst-case scenario, he's Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney is potentially an Hall of Fame-type guard. Right. And so if you're going to get that kind of opportunity to draft that player at nine, I think you certainly do that. Um, right. I think he can play tackle. And I know that there's a lot of excitement about what Broderick Jones did last year at the left tackle spot. And maybe it's an opportunity where Skaronsky maybe starts inside. And if Jones doesn't work out, you put him back there eventually. But he's a talented, talented offensive lineman. I think would be a very good fit. Yeah, Hall of Famer at nine as a guard. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a hell of a worst case scenario. That's but I mean, look, I trust, I trust Brandon, you know, he, he's out there working with Duke Manny Weather and Jeff Schwartz all the time. Like if he's telling me worst case scenario is Joe Tootie, I'll take that to the bank. I love it. And, you know, I, I agree with you hundred percent on, on Jalen Carter. I mean, if you, if you're looking at this in a vacuum, right. If yeah. you were looking at it strictly between the white lines, yeah, hundred percent. He's probably the best prospect on the board. If he's there at nine, even if you have, I put out a, a, a poll earlier, if you have say hypothetically, you have Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, uh, Paris Johnson, uh, Broderick Jones. Throw Skaronsky in there. You know, who do you take? I mean, I, I think the obvious it's choice Carter. is if you put it in a vacuum between the white lines, you take Jalen Carter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was on with Mob, Michael Lombardi, um, and he's a huge, huge Carter fan. He basically was telling me on his show that, like, look, he's the best player in the draft. And yeah. positional value is what it is. But I think when you watch Carter, again, just between the lines and you see how he resets the line of scrimmage, how he can not just command double teams, but beat double teams. I mean, you're talking about making life easier for your linebackers. You're talking about making life easier for your safeties if they've got to come down and get into the run fit where they're going to come down and come down clean because you don't have a guy that's able to scrape off of Carter because he's taking on both blockers and sometimes beating them to the spot. That's a game-changing type of player. That's rare at the defensive tackle spot. It's usually like you could do one thing, like eat blocks and stop the run, but you're not going to offer much as a pass rusher. Or you might be an incredible pass rusher, but maybe you don't stop the run. It's rare where you find somebody that can do both at such a high level, and that's Carter. So even if it's that hypothetical that you put out, Neil, where you've got all these potential options there, I'd still take Carter. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that it's ultimately going to come down to how comfortable Poles was with him in the meeting room last week. Yeah. Or was it the week before? I forget exactly when he had his top 30. But It was the week before, but yeah. I mean, that's it because, look, there's it hasn't been the cleanest pre-draft process. Let's put it that way. I mean, you have the incident, you know, after their, you know, victory parade. And obviously that's a horrible, horrible situation. Um, 
you know, but it seems like he was cleared from that, cleared from responsibility. I mean, he was arrested everything and, you know, they've not brought charges. He had apparently a bad pro day workout where he seemed tired and winded and, you know, maybe seemed like he wasn't in the best shape. But then you turn on film. You turn on LSU where he's getting sacks and picking guys up with one arm and beating blockers with the other. You turn on TCU where he's resetting the line of scrimmage. You have that kind of dominant play in the SEC. That should speak for itself. And it, it provided you are comfortable with him as a general manager, and I have no reason you know, not to believe that they would be, run to the podium, make the pick. You're immediately a better defense. Well, you know where you're going at nine. Um, yeah. <laughs> let, 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 let's, let's consider things uh, that, that could shake up the apple cart here. You, know, you talked a little bit about uh, you know Houston Texans going off script at two. Um, personally, do you think that the, the four quarterbacks in question are going to go in the top ten? And what is an outside presence that could come and shake up that apple cart and make things kind of dicey once it gets you know towards the back end of the top ten where the Bears are, are uh, you know coming up to the podium? Then, yeah, I mean, you know, a team like sort of you know like the teams that could come up in, for quarterbacks. You know, we mentioned Tennessee. You know, we mentioned Minnesota. You know, there might even be an opportunity where, say, Houston does go off script at two, where they have that pick of 12 to come back in. And so I think ultimately you're going to get four quarterbacks, say, top 10-ish, maybe top 8-ish. Um, it might not be QB, 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 QB to start it off. Like, there was a period of time where we thought that would happen. But I, I think the number of good quarterbacks in this draft, you know, we've got four that – seem to be good quarterbacks when you're hearing stories that some teams might have Levis QB two, some teams might have Richardson higher on their boards. Some teams still like Stroud. There's going to be a dance partner for each of these four quarterbacks at some point in say the top eight or so. And I think that's very good if you're a Chicago Bears fan, because it means that some very good players are going to be staring you in the face at nine. Now, could anything sort of tip that up? I mean, does Bill Belichick get antsy and come up for a player? I mean, that could happen. Um, I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do. I mean, we're still sort of waiting on a nebulous Rodgers, you know, jet situation. And it seems like that's going to get pushed to either, you know, this draft, but next year's pick or after this draft even. And so you might not have a situation where the Jets do something silly and come up or anything like that, but maybe. Um, but I really think that the Bears are in a very strong position because you're going to have – because of the fact that there are four good quarterbacks and lots of quarterback needy teams, there's going to be a very, very good player. Somebody that was probably getting top five, top three, maybe buzz, you know, before the draft began staring you in the face at night. Do you think it's bizarre that no one seems to be rowing the boat right now in the Packers jet deal? And then also Lamar Jackson thing is out there as well. Is it psychotic to think that all these teams that need a quarterback are not going to test the waters with Lamar before they take a guy that's unproven. Yeah, it's very strange to me. It's very, it, it's the old, we use this joke all the time, right? The family guy mystery box. It's like, you know, you know, Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson, but, you know, Desmond Ritter's great. He could even be Lamar Jackson. Like, if you're Atlanta sitting there at eight, like, go get Lamar Jackson. Like, if you're one of these teams like Indianapolis, go get Lamar Jackson. Like, that right. doesn't seem to make sense to me. And, you know, maybe, the Hertz contract this week opens the door to some movement on the Lamar front because, you know, guaranteed versus non-guaranteed money seems to be what one of the sticking points was. And it seemed to be like at least some NFL owners really did not want to go down the road of we're going to start fully guaranteeing 
big quarterback contracts like this one. And since Hertz wasn't sort of fully guaranteed, maybe that's going to open the door to some resolution, whether it's the Ravens finally saying, okay, let's get this done now, or another team like say Atlanta or Indianapolis or another quarterback needy team saying, you know what? Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, they're great quarterback talents, but we want to be better than that right away. We can go get a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, a former MVP that, you know, certainly an Anthony Richardson or Levis could develop into a player like that, but you have the sure thing right now. The Rodgers thing, I, I, I love how everybody has said, oh, the, the Jets have the leverage or the Packers have the leverage. Rodgers kind of is the one that has the leverage because he's come out and said, look, I want to play for the Jets. And so the Jets got to go get him. You know, the Packers got to move him. I mean, he could go back and sit in the dark for, you know, a full NFL season. So I I think that deal has to get done. If you're the Jets, you've got to do it. You've got your general manager out there at a live event with Boomer Esiason saying, we're going to go and get Aaron Rodgers. You've got Sauce Gardner and everybody else basically just destroying Zach Wilson. I mean, what's your plan B if you don't have – Aaron Rodgers, Chris Streveler. I mean, are you really going to do that? Are you going to draft a quarterback at 13? Are you going to try to mend fences and bridges with Zach Wilson? I don't think you could do that at this point. So they've got to get this done. And if you're the Packers, I think at some level, you just want to turn the page here. Like you've talked about Jordan Love. You've talked about how excited you are to have him take over. And the guy doesn't want to be there. So you've got to need to get this done too. So I think it happens. I just don't know if it happens before Thursday night. Gotcha. The last question about quarterbacks, and I haven't done a whole lot of work. You've done a hell of a lot more work than I have for obvious reasons. We're not taking a quarterback. I'm not going to waste my time. But just going off of a very on-the-surface sort of uh, going off of what I see type of type of evaluation, am I crazy to think that Hennon Hooker is potentially a second or third best quarterback in this class? The production is there. He's got you know three sort of questions that people raise, and I think there's an easy response to each of those. People bring up the age quarterbacks are playing earlier it's not like you're drafting him and he's going to sit for three years like he's probably going to play earlier so that's the easy answer on the front end and the quarterbacks are playing longer and so he might be a year or two older by sort of conventional nfl evaluation standards but if he if you hit on him and it works and he plays until he's 35 like that's a nice long nfl career and so the age thing doesn't bother me people bring up the knee injury and the advances in medical science like he's probably going to be ready for training camp like the knee is a non-issue in my mind. I think the, the the only sort of thing that I have a hand up with Neil is the offense and how he's going to translate from that sort of Art Bryles, Josh Heupel, Baylor type of offense where some routes it was like a, a seam and an out and that's it. And the guys on the backside aren't even doing anything. So you've got like basically one read and go, you know? And so how does that translate to – a more NFL style offense. And I think the answer to that is you make it translate. Like you find ways to get some sort of half field concepts in where he's reading one half of the field, like he was at Tennessee and build from there. And so, you know, I I think there's a world where he can develop into a good to potentially great NFL quarterback. It might take a little bit more time I think in a place like, say, Detroit, where he could sort of have a redshirt year or Seattle or Minnesota, you know, places where they've got a starter in place for this year. But maybe there's an open door to, you know, another quarterback the year after that. That could be an ideal landing spot. Those places could be ideal landing spots for him. And so, no, it wouldn't surprise me if he slides to, say, the back half of the first round 
You know, I mentioned some teams already. New Orleans is another team to potentially watch where he gets to sort of sit for a year and learn. It ends up being a, one of the better quarterbacks in this class. That could certainly happen. The talent is there. It's just a matter of getting him from that offense he was running in Tennessee to what you want to see him run in the NFL. Yeah, if we're we talking, talked about – I'm uh, sorry, Neil, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, if we're talking about uh, you know more moves, additional moves that polls could be making, whether they be you know between now and draft day or on draft day itself, uh, there's been a lot of chatter about a, uh, a potential uh, deal between the Bears and the Steelers, potentially the Bears and the Bucks, somewhere to the, like the, the middle to the middle back of of the, of the first round. Um, do you think all that all that talk holds water? We are in line season after all. Do you think it holds water? And if it is the Steelers, you think it's potentially if you're if you're talking in terms of what we get back, you think the Bears get back potentially that uh, pick they gave up in the Claypool trade? I'm sure they'd love to get that pick back. I mean, I'm sure that's kind of what they're looking at. And I I, I think look, if you're Ryan Poles, you're certainly doing due diligence on those types of moves. Um, you know, because you know you will probably have a very good option staring you in the face at nine like we've talked about but you're gonna feel those calls because depending on how things shake out maybe we don't see this quarterback run more anticipated you know i'm old enough to remember last year's draft and we thought we'd see three quarterbacks in the first round and then when that didn't happen we thought we'd see this run of quarterbacks to start day two and that didn't happen maybe there's truth to the idea that quarterbacks might slide a bit and then you know, these dream scenarios of having Carter and Wilson and Anderson and Skaronsky staring you in the face, they don't materialize. Then maybe you think, okay, we could slide down. We can go back to say 17 or 19, right? The right tackle from Tennessee would be a very good option for you guys at one of those spots. And you recoup, you know, that, that first round pick you gave up in that trade, or you add additional draft capital in next year's draft. Those could be, a, that could be a, a, a pathway to take as well. And so, I think it certainly makes a lot of sense to entertain those calls now and think about what it could sort of, you know, cost what you could get in terms of sliding back a little bit. And if the board falls a less advantageous way than we've talked about, you can slide back, get future draft capital along the way and still get a very good player in that spot of the draft. Yeah. I feel, I don't know how you feel about this, Mark, but I feel like the the strength of this draft is, is not that top, you know, portion of it. I think it's it's more like that 25 to 55 range, somewhere in there where a lot of teams are going to make up some nice, you know, get some nice players, some starters there and uh, in, in that range there. So I think, you know, if, if the thing, if the board falls where a quarterback falls for the Bears and they have an option to trade back, I think they, sh they should jump on it. Obviously, you know, uh, depending on what they get and all that stuff. So, you know, kind of jumping on that topic, you know, is there a player that you, you know, the, the, the term, pound the table for a player is there a player in this draft whether it's first day one guy day two guy whatever that you would just absolutely pound the table for saying this guy i feel it in my gut is going to be I'm not saying all world but you know it's going to be a damn good nfl player is there someone in, in this draft any position I mean, yeah i mean there are a couple of players i mean there i've really fallen in love with the illinois defensive secondary from last year and whether it's witherspoon whether it's Brown, the safety, whether it's Jartavius, the other safety. Like, I like all three of those players. And Martin might be one of my favorite players to study this entire class. Yep. I'm like, like, you're talking about someone that, you know, plays like a corner, but can also play center field. He had a pass breakup against Nebraska where he's, you know, middle field closed post safety. And he gets to the wheel route from the back along the sideline and breaks it up. And when you've got somebody that has the change of direction, like movement skills, like a corner, but can be a center field type player in the middle of your defense and middle field closed. 
that's a home run for me. So, you know, I know it's a weaker safety class, but Martin Brown, Branch, the safety from Alabama, I really like him. It's not the best wide receiver group, and so it's really sort of hard to think, that, like, yeah, there's, you know, a wide receiver that's going to be a game changer. But I look at what Hyatt did in that Tennessee offense, and I think, look, maybe it's a, a small route tree, but let him run like three routes, and, and he's going to run them extremely well, and he's going to stress defenses. And so, you know, I certainly probably not on, you know, the first night of the draft, but sometime on day two, I'd be loving somebody to run up to the podium to, to get him because I think he's an extremely talented player. I think this is a great tight end class. I mean, yeah. it might be one of the best tight end classes we've seen in recent years. I like the South Dakota State kid. I like him a lot. And, again, day two, but absolutely love him. And even deeper in the draft, the tight end out of Purdue, who didn't have a ton of production. But I always take note, you know, speaking of that Illinois defense, when a team has to take their best defensive player, who's a corner and Witherspoon, and put them on a tight end on third and seven yeah. situations, that's what Illinois did the, the entire second half of that game with the Purdue tight end. So I like the Purdue tight end as well. And I do like, late in this draft, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the, the yes. QB from UCLA. Yes. I like him a lot. I know he's got a lot of work to do. But in that Chip Kelly offense, you saw like timing and rhythm and anticipation throws, certainly an incredible athlete. And for teams like, say, Seattle, if they don't go quarterback early, a developmental type makes a lot of sense. Um, look, even Chicago, looking at him as like a backup to develop down the road and a potential hedge on Justin Fields, who I still remain supremely confident in. But I know that, look, this is year three. I'm living the same thing with Mac Jones. This is the make or break type of season for these year three quarterbacks. DTR in-house is a potential, you know, hedge in place already. Makes some sense to me at the end of the draft. Yeah, I was I was asked about potential, you know, you know, developmental type quarterbacks in this draft. If the Bears were going to go on, DTR was the first guy that came to mind because it because it he fits the same type of you know scheme in terms of yeah. God forbid Fields gets hurt, you can put him in there and he has the same kind of skill set. The other guy I was uh, I was uh, thinking about and maybe you can touch on him here real quick is is uh, Jaron Hall from BYU, similar type where you know athletic, mobile could come in. You don't have to change much of the offense. You know what about Jaron Hall in terms of like a late yeah. round pick? Yeah, I I wanted to go into. You know, after the work I did on him this summer, I wanted to go into like this year's scouting season. And I really wanted to like believe he was going to be my QB5. And I couldn't quite get there. Um, he's impervious to pressure at times. He had a couple of plays this year where he's got like multiple points of pressure off the edges in his face, doesn't drop the eyes at all, keeps him upfield and makes some great plays. And it's like, that's exactly what you want to see from a quarterback. But there's a double-edged sword nature to his impervious feel of pressure because then you see, like, the sack safety gets Notre Dame. It's like, you got to get the ball out here, my friend. And he's had a tough, 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 you know, pre-draft process. You know, didn't have the best senior bowl. Um, but, yeah, I think he'd be a good developmental guy, too, as we get again. We're we're talking about guys we're going to be talking about drafting in, like, round six, round seven. Right. Like, later in the draft, not like somebody that you're going to come in and say, oh, we've suddenly got ourselves like a, a battle at QB1. This is a make QB2 an improvement and then maybe down the road as a potential edge or if, God forbid, something happens to JF1, you've got somebody that's athletic, that's mobile, that fits the offense that they're running and can run that well if the worst thing happens and Justin Fields goes down for a game or two. The, the one guy I'm pawning the table for and, and – 
our listeners are probably going to be like, you're talking about him again, is, is Tuli uh, Tuapaluta from USC. I absolutely yeah. love that kid. I think the fact that he's a tweener, that 266, I think really hurt him. I what did USC list him at? They listed him at what, like 290? He was at, at two, yeah, 280 something or 270 yeah. something, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought he was going to come in at 260 or, I mean, I mean uh, two, you know, 80 or 275 or something. He came in 266. I think that's really going to hurt him. I think teams are, are, are kind of stuck with like, is he a is he an end? Is he a nine technique? You know, is he, you know, I see him as a three technique. Kick him inside, add about 10 pounds of muscle to him. You know, what are your thoughts on Tuli? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I think you could, he's got the frame, but you could certainly add weight there. And I, I think he's probably somebody that I'd want to see add a little bit of weight, kick him inside a little bit. You know, maybe start him out as sort of a sub package interior rusher um, and sort of build from there because. You know, that tweener designation, it's a tough thing to overcome. I mean, one of my favorite players in this draft is Nolan Smith. But, again, sort of that tweener type where it's like, you know, are, are you going to use him as sort of a 3-4 outside backer? I mean, are you going to put him in a three-point stance with his hand in the dirt, you know, and have him be sort of a seven-technique at time or even kick inside from that? And so, you know, the tweener designation is tough, but I like to. And I – but I'm with you. I think, you know, try to get some weight on him. Maybe he's sort of like uh, somebody that's going to be an interior sub guy, you know, rush package situation type of player as he sort of fills things out. And then you have something really to work with in 24 and beyond. You know, Mark, um, there's a lot of chatter out there as well. A lot of smoke. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you are hearing anything uh, substantial about there's fire behind the smoke, but uh, potential uh, roster cuts immediately post draft. You know, there, there's talk of Cody Whitehair. There's, there's, uh, talk of um, you know Kendall Vildor. Um, anything real out there? Or are, you, are you hearing anything? Ear to the grindstone a little bit. Do you, you you know of anything that's going on? Is there potential there? Yeah, I mean, I I understand why people are looking at you know a, potentially a white hair move. I mean, because you're talking about you know you're you're saving I, I think what eight million or something like that if it's a pre June first. Um, and you know, it's dead money if you know, 8 million, I guess, cap savings of like something like five or 6 million or even 10 million if it's post June first. So I understand that I'd be surprised, you know, but again, look, there are some good, you know, interior offensive linemen. There are some good interior offensive linemen in this draft. And so if you end up with say a Skoronsky move at nine, somebody that you might look at and say, look, you know, Jones is going to be our left tackle to start. We'll kick Skoronsky inside that frees up an opportunity to make that kind of cap move. I haven't heard anything. I haven't been told anything, but you start connecting dots. And if the board falls in a way that, you know, they go interior offensive line or add an offensive lineman like that, you know, maybe they do that. Now that's an interesting point. Maybe they kick a white hater center. Um, there are some good center options on day two of this draft as well. And so, you know, it, it, you can connect the dots there. Um, you know, do they eventually do that? I don't know. Like I said, I haven't heard anything, but you know, you can put together the puzzle pieces on your own and see why they might go down that road. Sure. Um, and then, you know, last uh, football related question for me, I got an open, open wheels question for you that maybe I'll get to you afterwards, but nice. um, I, I love, I, I love hearing the, the answer to this question because it, it kind of takes me inside the, the brain a little bit. Who's the guy that no one's talking about that you, that has you sitting there in your man cave right now salivating? Oh, man, guy that nobody's talking about. A guy that I still love is Muhammad Ibrahim, the running back from Minnesota. Um, I, I know he sort of had the injury, but yeah. look at some of the stuff that he did coming back this year. I mean, yardage after contact for a running back is something that I pay attention to. 
And, you know, Robinson had a 1,006 yards after contact this year, which was second most in the FBS. Ibrahim was three yards behind him. Like, missed tackles, broken tackles, like, puts all that stuff up. And I'm seeing him consensus mock drafts in, like, the 170 range. Like, we're talking late day three for a player like that. Now, maybe he's got – Injury concerns, you know, maybe there's a wear and tear concern already. Maybe you're thinking, you know, you might not get a second contract out of him. But a guy that has that kind of production still has some decent burst, still has some, you know, vision, footwork, scheme diverse back. You're talking about a guy that can do that kind of stuff in the NFL, even if it is just one contract and you're getting him in round six, sign me up. Do you follow my, my theory, Mark, that don't draft running backs in the first round? I'm like, there are the rare exceptions. I think Robinson is that rare kind of exception because of what he can do, run game, pass game, how he can contribute in a variety of ways. But largely, yeah, I've, I look, I grew up and we were playing with like leather helmets and all that stuff. Okay. Like most of the stuff I did was handing the ball off when I was playing quarterback. So I'm still a believer in the run game, but I understand that the way that the game has changed. And if you're going to, as a roster, build the best offensive line you can because of what you need to do in the pass game, yes, you can add running backs rounds three, four, five, six, seven, and get very good production at a lower cost. So I understand the economics of it. Robinson is kind of that that rare case. Like I saw a stat with like you know running backs that had a thousand yards and over like seven yards of reception in the college game, and it was you know Christian McCaffrey, Saquon and Robinson. Like, those were the three. That's it. That's the list. Those are the types you draft in the first round today. And follow the rest, you can wait. You can be patient. Mark, uh, Jordan Silvera over in the chat room, uh, bar room uh, co-host, wants to know about Jake Hayner. Have you had a chance to look at the Fresno State quarterback? There is sort of that template, right, where – it was, okay, the guy that you knew was going to be the long-term backup, spot starter, probably going to play 15 years in the NFL. You, that, I used to call that sort of, you know, the Colt McCoy of each class. Now that's become the Taylor Heineke of each class. And I'll be here five years doing this show with you guys five years from now, and we'll be saying that's the Jake Hanner of that class. Because if nothing else, Jake Hanner is going to be in the league for 10 years. One of the most competitively tough quarterbacks I've ever studied. You watch him two years ago against UCLA when his hip was like broken – and he comes away with a win. I talked to people on the UCLA staff, and they were just like, yeah, we were blown away too. We threw everything we had at him in that game, and he kept coming back. Got hurt again this year. They thought his season might be over. There he is in the Malta West Championship game, you know, on the road against Boise State. You know, accurate, throws with against leverage. Yeah, that game against UCLA was just incredible. Um, the way he throws against the leverage of the nearest defender, I used to be such a stickler for – you know, you got to know what coverage it is, stubby versus stump, cover two, four, six quarters, quarter, quarter, half. The older I get, the more I really realize if you could put the ball where it needs to be, depending on the where the nearest defender is, that's a good enough starting place for me. And he can do that at an extremely high level. And so I have, I'm very, very confident that 5, 10, 12 years from now, Jake Hanner is still kicking around somewhere starting three or four games a season and pulling out some big wins for a team. I'm a big fan of his. Mark, before we get you out of here, a couple more things. Uh, number one, uh, Justin Fields. This is what you wrote back in April of 2021. Doubt Fields 
at your own peril. I've said before that NFL teams that pass on Fields will one day regret that decision. Fields has the traits that matter at the position. He's someone that teammates want to play for and that coaches want to work with. He could be special. Do you still believe he can be special? I do. I do. Now, look, this is a Baker break kind of year. This is year three. It's a critical one. But I think that, look, the soon as I know that there is some that were entertaining the idea that maybe Chicago should draft a quarterback at one. And I pushed back on that. Uh, and they did the right thing in my mind by coming down to nine, getting themselves an opportunity to improve their roster. And yes, they picked up a future first rounder. They're trying to follow that Philadelphia Eagles path of build around the guy that you have, set him up for success in year three, but give yourself an out if. It doesn't come together. Now you've got the two first-round picks. Go get Caleb Williams, Michael Penix Jr., Drake May, whoever it is. So I love that they have put themselves in that position to build the round fields this year. And if it doesn't work, go get somebody next year. But I think it's going to work this year, and here's why. The quarterback we saw at the start of the year, and I wrote about this over at SB Nation, you know, hesitant, didn't seem to trust what was going on around him, didn't seem to trust his eyes, what was happening downfield. By the end of the season, that was gone. Much more decisive quarterback, quarterback that trusted his eyes. Some of the throws he made down the stretch, like the, the, the throw against the Bills where it's that post-over concept, and he leads Jones right to the right sideline. Very decisive, no hesitation whatsoever. His adjusted completion percentage was 75% in the last four games of the season, which was – Again, middle of the pack, but it was a big jump from where it was at the start of the year. And it was ahead of guys like Jalen Hurts, who just became the highest paid player in NFL history. And so what we saw in the last third of the season, I think, is a sign of things to come. And again, they're following that Eagles model, right? Well, in the Eagles in year two for him, it was shaky at the start of the year. But then around midway through the season, you started to see the signs that the light had come on. And I'm seeing something similar with Fields. And so I have every confidence that, you know, maybe it'll take a couple of years longer than I thought. But what I said about him back in 21 will come to fruition. I got a question from uh, J2K who watches uh, as much tape as any one of us here. He says, I've seen Fields struggle to throw without his fingers on the laces. Have you noticed this? And is this an easy issue to correct? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it happens when we're, you know, when you go in RPO game and it's just catch and throw. And, you know, it, it's sometimes just a function of something you have to live with in that offense. Um, when you have to, when we run an RPO concepts and you're making quick reads, quick throws and quick decisions. Now, you know, again, it, it's something that you can sort of work on. Um, I, I would put it farther down the list of stuff to work on. Again, you know, keeping the mechanics right maintaining that decisiveness we saw down the stretch i think are the bigger priorities but yeah i mean it's, it's something i've noticed and you've seen it's not exclusive to fields you know a lot of quarterbacks you're so used to throwing with the laces that when you know you're doing it a little bit differently it feels a little bit differently ball feels a little bit differently coming out of your hands release point feels a little funny as well and so you know, it's something to monitor and watch and it's certainly something i've noticed but i i think there are sort of bigger fish to fry with getting that development and getting that year three leap we want to see from fields. The, the one thing, Mark, that I, I've been adamant about, and I've, I've gone at people here on, on our listeners and who, who, you know, when they got the first pick, they're just, people are calling, oh, yeah, Bryce, you know, Bryce Young or 
So you're just talking like, listen, we've got the quarterback. This guy, like you said, has that it factor. He wants to be great. And it just, it's a young quarterback. It's developing. This is what young quarterbacks go through. It just, I, it frustrates me to no end. But what really frustrates me, and, and I've been, I've been hammering away at this. And I, if you can please just kind of either back me up or, or, or tell me I was wrong. But this concept that Justin Fields is a runner. This guy could throw. This guy threw at Ohio State. This guy made NFL-type throws at Ohio State. He wasn't a running quarterback at Ohio State. He's running for his life here with the Bears because no one else can, A, catch the ball, and they can't protect him. And I think that's what, in the early part of the, the season, when he was so unsure of himself, because I think he was, he was you know, hearing, you know, footsteps. I think he was just feeling the pressure from everywhere around him, and I think he was just trying to survive. So, do you do you agree that Justin Fields can't go to football and he's not a running quarterback? This guy is a thrower. Justin Justin Fields is an athletic quarterback, and his athleticism, I think, I think first of all, we need to sort of reset our idea about what athleticism does for a quarterback. There's this belief that it sets the ceiling. I think it sets the floor because it gives you an opportunity to solve problems and create plays when maybe things aren't clean around you. So I think we have to sort of recalibrate how we look at quarterbacks and athleticism because I think it's a much bigger thing and a better plus for quarterbacks than we might give it credit for. But with respect to Fields in particular, he is a pocket passer. Like you watch that offense he was running at Ohio State with options and deep downfield options and conversions and things like that that he was asked to do from the pocket. You know, it's similar in a sense to Lamar Jackson and the knock on Lamar that he could never play from the pocket when – I've got Petrino's book over my shoulder here and he titled it inside the pocket as sort of a wink and a nod to all the people that said Lamar couldn't do it because he walks you through like what Lamar did at Louisville and how he improved. And, you know, fields ran a very sort of pro style offense in a sense with option routes and progressions and conversions and things like that. He could be a pocket passer. Some of the stuff I've, uh, again, I, to get ready for tonight, I was rewatching the last half of the season and I see it. It's there. Like it needs to be developed and brought out, but he's a pocket passer. He's a thrower of the football. And again, he was my QB two coming out. I remain a huge fan of his game. I want to see him get to where he can be because I think he could be special in this league. The athleticism is great and it helps him solve problems and it can help that team win games. But what he can do from the pocket and the potential that's there from the pocket is what's going to make him a great one. You know, Dan, two years ago, I remember we were talking about Justin Fields doing our write-ups, our evaluations, and all those different types of things, saying that this kid is a, pa- a pass-first quarterback with the ability to do some incredibly dynamic things in, in the run game. And we continue to reiterate that show after show after show year after year. I, I think the, the the important thing, and I guess it's more of a comment than it is a question mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it's critically important to remember, I've been saying for a year now, that, you know, after last season, during this season, um, and even like during this year's show, this year's version of the show, that this is essentially his second rookie year. And there's going to be some similar growing pains as we saw in his first rookie year. And I think it's, you know, the, th- the thing about fans, we're fanatics, right? You know, and, and this fan base in particular, we tend to, you know, go ahead and get riled up about stuff. But I, I think it's critically important to keep in mind that this was his second rookie year and he's got great strides to make this offseason. And he's going to come into next year with a year of this offense under his belt. He had a lot to learn with new staff coming in. You know, where am I missing it? I mean, again, it's the Eagles model. I mean, almost to a T. 
because it was a similar thing that Jalen Hurts went through, right? Like he was under Doug Peterson as his rookie year. And then now it's a new coach, new offensive coordinator. And then in year two, under that system, his third year in the NFL, what happens? They go to the Super Bowl. He becomes the highest paid player in NFL history. Now, am I saying that the Bears are going to be playing in the next Super Bowl and that Fields is going to become the next highest paid player? No, I'm not saying that yet. But that's the pathway they're trying to follow. Consistency around the quarterback position is so huge for their development. Look no further than Josh Allen, who's become sort of the prototype of quarterback development, right? Same head coach, same offensive coordinator, same sort of everything. You get him some help and you see how it develops. Like it matters so much. And that's part of the reason why as a Patriots fan, I'm so uneasy about things right now because you go from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia to Bill O'Brien. This is year three, but if you go back to Alabama, it's basically four offenses in four years. That's not good for a young quarterback's development because, look, you know, I I always use that phrase, development is not linear, right? We expect these quarterbacks to have this nice and sort of tidy, like it's going to be up a nice straight line and they're going to get equally better each year. It's not like that. I mean, in our lives, I was not the person at 23 that I was at 22. Like it goes up and down and you have bumps along the way. It's the same for NFL quarterbacks. So you got to keep things as stable as possible. If you're constantly changing offenses and coaches and coaching staffs, general managers, it's going to be disruptive. It's not going to help their development. So the fact that he's in this second year with the same sort of stability around him, I think it's going to be huge for him. All right. Uh, I, I know that Neil had an – did you have an F1 question, Neil? Well, before oh, you get man, that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a uh, open wheels freak, man. I was so excited today. Open practice began at the raceway capital of the world. What's that? Neil, can you get one, one second? Before you get to your F1 question, I, I have one question for, for uh, Mark in terms of the Patriots. You talked about Mac Jones. Will Lovis was in there uh, for a visit. Is is that something that <laughs> – is it just is that just you know stoking the fire? What, what's what's going on here? I mean, I, I actually got a piece coming about that tomorrow. I, I will say this: um, one of the most fascinating things about being at the combine, right, is seeing what beat reporters are at what position group podiums. And I remember, you know, I, I race over, you know, wake up bright and early, you know, have my breakfast, race over to see Bryce Young because he's at eight o'clock in the morning, and I look around and. There are all these Patriots beat writers here. And I'm like, guys, is there something I need to know about? And they're like, no, no, no. We just, we, we want to ask them questions about Bill O'Brien. I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, they're all shouting their Bill O'Brien questions and Bryce Young is answering how small he is for the 50th time in a row. And, and nobody call he doesn't call on any of the Patriots guys. So I think, okay, no big deal. And then I go over to, to where CJ Stroud is setting up. And all those same Patriots beat reporters are walking over to CJ Stroud's podium. And then they're walking over to Richardson. And I'm like, okay, like, I, I know you're not going to tell me. That's fine. You don't have to tell me. No big deal. But the fact that the people that know a lot more that's going on and went to all those quarterbacks, it's it's the spidey sense started tiggling, Danny. And then, you know, with this Levis thing, you know, they're trying to say, look, we're sitting there at 14. And if he's there and, you know, we want to get a good feel for him because if Minnesota wants to come up, we want to know what to ask for in a trade. But then you see all these stories about, you know, Belichick and Jones and some friction. And I still think that, look, they go in a different direction in the first round. And even if Richardson or Levis is staring them in the face at 14, they go in a different direction. But I'm not I'm not betting on that, you know. I I still think that they probably go offensive tackle or wide receiver maybe, but I'm not betting on it because I think there's a non-zero chance that they go quarterback. It might be single digits, 
But I thought it would have been, say, oh, Branch in New England, Porter Jr. too. Both would be fantastic. Um, you know, I thought it would be a lock that they go offensive line or, or wide receiver. But I think it, maybe it's a 5% chance, but it could happen. So I, the fact that Levis had his on his last day of visits was in Foxborough certainly makes you wonder. Um, go, go ahead, Neil. Get your F1 question out or any racing oh, question man. you, you know, have because Mark really wants <laughs> to feel this one. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just uh, – I love open wheel racing. I was so amped up today. Open practice started at, uh, you know, the racing capital of the world in Indianapolis. And I, I watched eight hours of cars, you know, zip around the track at 230 plus. So, uh, it gets me going. But uh, um, when it comes to F1 – is Ferrari ever going to get it back together, man? I don't it, think so. It drives me crazy. I don't think so. Uh, my good buddy Michael Kiss is a huge Ferrari fan, and he has actually created a TikTok of just Ferrari disasters just going through the years of all the epic failures. I mean, and and you thought, okay, they get rid of Benito, they bring in Vassar, it, it's going to be a new change, and it's just been a brutal start to them. And I don't know if they write this ship this year and – you wonder, does Leclerc want to leave at this point because they can't put a team together? He requested he a, a did meeting. did last year, didn't he? Yeah, and he requested a meeting with Ferrari's president after the first two races of the year. And then they have, you know, in Melbourne, he crashes out on the opening lap. Sainz gets the five-second penalty, so he ends up finishing out of the points. It's been a rough year for them, and I don't see it getting better anytime soon because Aston Martin's for real. Like, I think it's time yeah. to admit that, look – Alonzo is for real. Stroll has sort of figured it out. The AMR 23 is basically another Red Bull 19. Like the, their, their Red Bull's head of aerodynamics is now in Aston Martin's camp. Like he works for them now. So it's probably not a surprise that the AMR 23 looks a lot like the RB19. Mercedes, I think, has kind of figured things out. And they're expecting a big upgrade for Baku. McLaren has been saying since tr preseason training that they were going to have a big upgrade for this race next week. So... I don't know where Ferrari is. They can't figure out the tires. Their drivers are crashing out. It just seems like they can't get out of their own way. Equipment sucks. The engines keep blowing. Yep. Yep. I mean, look, what? Leclerc's on his third, you know, control electronics of the year. He's going to be facing right. a five-case grade penalty the next time he makes a switch there. I mean, it's just a mess for Ferrari right now. Yeah. All I know is you guys talking about cars I cannot afford. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they're rocket ships. Let's put it that way. I mean, I can't afford like a little fire jets little on wheels, man. On that thing, yeah. So that's why Indy's amazing, man. It's fire jets on wheels ripping around a two and a half mile oval, two thirty plus, man. It, yeah, the, the, the sound of those engines on race day gets you gets the hair in the back, standing yep. straight up, the blood rushing. I love it. Yeah, I was trying to contribute to this conversation, but all I can go back off is that Ford versus Ferrari movie. That's all I can know, I know about it. <laughs> that works. It's, it's a completely different series, but. Hey, I know you kind of get it. <laughs> yep, yep, you get it, Mark. You know, every time I, I listen to you here at the bar room, I, I I just get this sense that man, this is a guy I'd love to have a couple beers with, and just not only talk about sports but just about anything. And that was confirmed yesterday when you tweeted out that if you guys are wondering what I'm doing, you're watching Pink Floyd live on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. What's this about? I mean, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, I I was watching an episode of The Mandalorian. I'm like an episode behind. I haven't seen the finale yet, and I see a notification on my phone that Pink Floyd is going live on Instagram. And I'm like, 
okay, something crazy has to be happening here. And they just, they had a live shot of the eclipse that was last night. They had this weird pyramid thing with people dancing in front of a pyramid. And they were just replaying Dark Side of the Moon. And I was like, click off Mandalorian, turn up the volume on my phone to listen to this, you know, live sort of new concert for Dark Side of the Moon, which is such an incredible album. But yeah, I mean, that's how I spent my Wednesday night. Well, thank you for that because I ended up devoting about 20 minutes of my very busy night. It, it, was, it, was, it was a fantastic night, my friend. Yeah, it really was. It really was. Although some of those dancers were not very good. I, I just yeah, have to I mean, because I, I like to criticize I wasn't watching. I was listening. Let's put it that way. They <laughs> brought the eclipse back on. I was like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. When they went back to the dance, I was like, all right, I'll go look at something else. Well, apparently, when I looked at YouTube, they've got another live one coming up, I think, tonight or tomorrow night. So there's there's more to be had uh, for you Pink Floyd fans okay. out there. Uh, Mark, it's been great having you. We kept you twice the amount of time uh, that we promised we'd keep you for. So thank you very much for hanging with us, brother. Truly well, thank you guys so much. Really appreciate you having me on. Look forward to doing it again soon. And Mark, uh, let, people, let people know where they can interact with you and where they can read your material. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm still on Twitter at Mark Schofield. I lost the blue check today, but that's okay because it's still me. Um, so, you know, you know, you can find me on Twitter. Um, SBNation.com. Um, we'll be obviously doing a ton of draft stuff. And then um, next Monday, like I said, we're, we're building out an F1 portion of the site, which is really cool. Um, getting to talk to Lando Norris live from Azerbaijan next week as well. So I have a big story on him. Um, so we go right from NFL to F1 and um, you can find it all at Mark Schofield on Twitter, SB Nation on Twitter, SBNation.com as well. Did I see you dabbling in basketball as well, college basketball? It, guys, they're letting me write about everything, which it, it's good and bad. I mean, because they're <laughs> letting me write about, like, like I got, a, I wrote a piece earlier this week about the, my favorite MLB celebrations of the season so far, which I had to update, I think it was today or yesterday, because the Mariners have a home run trident. Like, that's really cool. Oh, Jordan, appreciate that. Appreciate that, man. The home run trident is awesome. The Orioles, they've got the they, – they call it the hydration hose or the home run hose. It's a Dawn Bond, Dawn okay? Bond. That's what I'm on it. It's a Dawn Bond, and it always will be a Dawn They have the double celebration where, like, somebody hits a double, they do this on second base, and everybody spits out water. <laughs> like, I've seen that. The Angels have the samurai helmet. Some of the home run celebrations this year are awesome. But, yeah, Daddy, they let me write about anything, which is fun for me. I think it's scary for my bosses, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> It's great yeah, stuff. We, we love it, man. You do great, great work. Job. Whatever you're doing, you do great work, man. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for jumping coming on. Maybe we'll get you, you on after the draft sometime. And, and kind absolutely. Of Would absolutely love it. Take awesome. care. Thank you. All right. See All you right. guys. We're going to play a commercial and be right back to talk uh, uh, pass rushers. Stay with us. What I liked about him when I saw him in person at the East West. So I think this kid gives you a lot of potential in terms of what you're looking for up front. I see him in the Bears offense as a Z or a slot receiver, not the X, because they want the real big guy playing the X. You know, he could be sitting out there in the third round, and you could be getting a guy that could be your situational pass rusher. I think he's a perfect fit for what I've been told the Bears are looking for. This is my three technique for the Bears, especially if you don't take a guy like Jalen Carter at the top of the draft. This will be a nice pickup. It's perfectly in the system. My gut feeling is this would not be a guy the Bears would take. It's a good name because that's a guy that I'm intrigued by. Obviously, here with, mm -hmm. with the Bears, you know, defensive line, defensive front is, is a huge need. I think he's the best center in, in this draft.
Mark Schofield was just with us. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, Mark, S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. For those of you uh, listening on our audio podcast, Mark Schofield. And really, he really is, as uh, as Danny said, he really is a quarterback whisperer. Uh, this guy knows a lot about the position of quarterback. Uh, great interview, Danny. Yeah, I love Mark because, I mean, like I said, he breaks it down. You know, we didn't get into the nitty-gritty, but he can go down mechanic-wise in terms of the, the feet, the you know, the arm, the elbow, and all that stuff. So that's why I, I, he's a great follow on Twitter. And now that he's branching out, you know, doing other sports and and other stuff, that's you know, make sure you guys follow him and and, and do a do, do yourself a favor and learn some from from Mark Schofield. And hopefully, we we'll get him on back after the draft, and he can kind of go over some of the Bears' picks here. So. Yeah, he's always very generous with his time. All right, guys, let's move along here. Um, I have selected three pass rushers who I think any one of these guys would be a welcome member to the Chicago Bears, but they carry with them some imperfection, or in some cases more than one imperfection, and it makes you wonder whether the Bears should invest a draft pick. So I want to start with Kalija. Is it, it's Kalija, right? Kalija. Kalija. Kalijah Kansi, who is is really one of the quickest defensive tackles I have seen. Very reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers, but he's got the shortest arm length for any defensive lineman in this draft. So I want to start with you, Danny. How big of a problem is his short arms? For, for me, they're a problem. Now, how big a problem so there's one of the reasons why I, I wouldn't go with him in the first round. So, you know, put on his tape. He's got first round tape. You see the quickness. You see the ability to, to pierce the gaps. You know, a perfect three technique, if you will. But, you know, that, that arm length is, is going to make a difference at the next level. Now, even there's sometimes here in, in these tapes when you watch them, you see guys, not this case here, but there's guys that break away from him. You know, there's would-be tackles, would-be sacks that he misses because the guy just break. And to me, that's that's a part of the problem is the short arms. He doesn't wrap up and, and get the guy down on the ground. So, you know, tape wise, first round talent, perfect scheme fit, you know, but just, just the, the arm length. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent in terms of you you have certain fits in terms of physical fits and traits that you need. And I think that would be, that would be a, a gamble if you took him in the first round, second round, you could probably a little bit more a chance where you can kind of, you know, maybe he's a situational pass rusher early on. Maybe a guy gives you some, some, some snaps, you know, in terms of run defense on, you know, uh, early in the season. But again, you're, you're taking a, a, a huge gamble with, with a guy that doesn't have the, you know, quite the, the profile in terms of the, the arm measurement. And everybody talks about Aaron Donald and, and it kind of, it, it gets under my skin a little bit because Aaron Donald had, had, you know, significantly longer or, you know, longer arm length. And, and that's the one thing it's, is like, this guy's got the quickness. He's got the, the speed, uh, but he just doesn't have that, that ability to, you know, to, use that arm length to be able to press guys off his chest. And I think that's going to be a difference at the next level. Jordan says that the arms aren't the issue. It's the slight frame. Those mm-hmm. arms mean you have to get close to engage because he's so small. He gets engulfed as Danny, you were just saying. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's at, he's at 281. He, he came in bigger than what I thought he was going to come in. He, he came in at 6'1", 281 right. at the combine. You know, you know, his quickness, I mean, his first step is lightning quick. And that's the thing. It's, if he doesn't beat you with, with speed, then he's pretty much blocked. That's the problem here with him. So, you know, at the next level, you know, he's going to have to prove that. And now, you know, he might end up being a pretty damn good player at the next level. I'm not saying he's going to be a total bust, but I'm just saying it's, it's for a first-round pick, especially if you're talking about top 10. That's that's way, way too rich for me. And I, I, like I said, if you get him you know, in the second round, that's where I I would you know take a take a you know gamble on him and see if he can go and produce again. Tape is first round material. 
it's the measurements that don't just quite fit that NFL kind of body type. Uh, Neil, what are your thoughts on Cancy? And do you think, uh, you know, because I'm sure, Neil, you're like me. You look at the, that tape on him and that quickness is phenomenal, just simply phenomenal. But then you see that he's got the shortest wingspan of any defensive lineman that has been draft, drafted in the last 10 years. I mean, mm -hmm. that's very worrisome. Yeah, he came into the combine bigger and taller than we thought he was going to show up at, which is the That's amazing right. thing. You know, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, the the quarterback Bryce Young, he he goes ahead and chugs a couple gallons of water. Where did how, how do you how do you get an inch going from the meeting rooms to to the field? I don't understand that one. But either way, you know, it's it, it's obviously an issue. You know, he he's he's got the great tape that says first round all over. And I feel like my my opinion on this has been well established over the past couple shows. But you know, the the comparison to Aaron Donald is is nice and all and it's mainly because they're a similar player at a similar position at, a, at the same school and everything else but the arm length is, is is a massive difference and part of the reason why aaron down is as good as he is is because he has two inch longer arms he's able to establish better leverage um you know is he unfit i believe so you know i've like i said point out previous shows where you know that the film and the testing is, is is all nice but i think where it would make sense for the bears um you know, to, to take a kind of prospect like him that doesn't check the physical boxes would be well beyond where he will likely be picked. You know, can mm -hmm. see, you know, he's a type of prospect that, you know, he's got a lot that you like. He's not a sure fix. I think the bears are in the business of sure fixes at this point. We don't have a whole lot of, of, uh, of, of a future across the defensive front at this point. They have a bunch of one-year contracts and question marks. And I suspect he will end up going to a good team, you know, with, with pieces established, you know, across the defensive front and, uh, you know, a team that could afford to take some chances. I just don't think Poles is in the business of taking chances on, on uh, guys that don't check boxes. Yeah. It's definitely a risky pick. And I hate to be in a situation where you can't take a risk on a player like this, but unfortunately that's the state of the franchise. Now, if we were a 10 and seven team and, and have, you know, established defensive front yeah exactly right. then perhaps you go that way but i uh, it's too risky all right let's move on to our next player it's will mcdonald who i saw down live at the senior bowl and was really impressed was not impressed with his slight build uh will uh is also just about 24 years old my question for you neil is is will mcdonald too lean to be a reliable pass rusher in the national football league I don't think he's a risky proposition. You know, he came into the combine measured in at 6'4", 239, uh, two days after having a 100-plus degree fever. You know, so he probably lost a little bit of weight there. And, you know, granted, it, it, it set up people's antennas, you know, him showing up, you know, sub 240. But uh, he played last year at Iowa State at 245. You know, he's got – uh, almost 35-inch arms, a shade under 35-inch arms, nine-and-a-half hands. He measured a 36-vert 11 broad jump, has incredible, you know, burst and explosion. Um, at his pro day, he ran 4.62 and 4.65 in a hoodie, which hilariously enough, scouts probably felt that he could have ran faster without the parachute attached to him. Um, but, uh, you know, cone time was a 6.6, shell time was 4.21, so he, he can move laterally and change direction. You know, all these are phenomenal numbers. Um, he also weighed in at his pro day at 245. I got that confirmed today. So, you know, let, let's suppose the Bears, uh, you know, conservatively are able to stack another 10 pounds of strength and mass on him, get him to approaching 260. With the strongest he's able to play against the run, 
uh, the dynamic pass rush threat that he brings off the edge. I'm not concerned there. Um, he's honestly, he's my number two guy, you know, behind Tyree Wilson in terms of uh, pass rushers, defensive ends. Mm. Uh, Neil, what are your thoughts? You mean Danny? I mean, <laughs> Danny. Um, I mean, guys, I, I love this guy. This was a guy I talked about prior to the senior bowl, prior to the combine. I was all over this guy just based off of his tape. And yeah, I mean, I, this guy is the type of pass rusher that that the system wants a, a guy that's that's got all the pass rush moves he's got the bend he's got the first step get off you know in terms of, of being a pass rusher his weight's not going to be an issue where it's going to be an issue is if you you know line him up down in and down out as a as a full-time defensive end and you know stopping the run and that's something where i think he could get run over but you know he came at the neil said came in at 245 at his at his pro day you know i, I think at, at 255 you know 260 hopefully that doesn't slow down his his get off but i think that's where i'd be, I'd be comfortable with in terms of Again, you got to work with him, get his technique better, get it, you know, using his hands better, leverage, so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, I, to be honest with you, I love this kid so much that, that that if all the top three defensive players are gone and my top offense tackle is gone, I wouldn't mind taking him a number nine. And I know you guys would think I'm crazy, but it's just this is the Bears have no pass rush. And this is the, you know, after, you know, Tyree Wilson, after Will Anderson, this is the premier pass rusher. Uh, you know, I don't think any of those guys have his type of bend either. So, I mean, this guy is just just the kind of guy you're looking for coming off the edge. So I love Will McDonald. If there's a way that, that Ryan Poles can go ahead and get this guy on the roster, that, that I'd be ecstatic because he is the type of pass rusher they need and they're lacking. I would not be upset about taking him at nine. If that ends up being the case, the if a that's lot of those other options are off the board. Yeah, and that's that's well, that's the thing you, you have to go back and forth in terms of like you know because if you wait till fifty three, he's going to be gone. So you know if, if you can't trade down, you know Ryan pulls, and we'll get into this later on. But you know there's some scenarios where you know you might have to just pull a trigger on a player where some people are going to be scratching their heads. But hey, if, if he's a producer and he, and he does what he what you want him to do, which is come here and get quarterbacks, I'd go ahead and, I'd go ahead and pull the trigger. But we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, G2K was on. was concerned about him setting the edge. He's a lot stronger against the rush, and you'd think a wiry dude, if you want to call two forty five wiry. I mean, hell. Right. Um, he's a lot stronger this run than we all like would suppose he is. Just looking at his frame, looking at the the way that he plays football, as dangerous and dynamic as he is against the rush. Um, you know, again, like like Danny said, you know, he, there's some things that you need to go ahead and fix there. Maybe not necessarily fix, but improve, right? Can, and you can always cover it up for him. You can always rotate the, the the linebacker coverage over. You can always give him extra help on that side as well. But it's just a thing where he's gonna have to get bigger. He's gonna have to get stronger, and that, that's something we know. But and maybe initially he's your he's your you know designated pass rusher you know it comes in just you know on passing downs and, and gives you you know that edge the speed off the edge so you know there's different ways you can utilize them and and uh you know that this is something that, that i've gone back and forth in terms of you know talking about will anderson you know will anderson doesn't have the type of bend the type of length that that will mcdonald has you know it, it doesn't have the you know, he had the one great you know great number in terms of one season in terms of you know the sacks and all that production but this guy's been productive you know throughout his you know five-year career here at iowa state and i think you know he's, he's a better athlete than than will anderson he's he's better in terms of Ben and getting around the corner. So to me, he's this Will McDonald is a better pass rusher than Will, than Will Anderson Jr. But obviously, Will Anderson Jr. Is, is getting you know is getting all the hub and all that stuff. So you know, for me, I, I like Neil. I thought about it. I'm like, you know, if a number nine, if our guys aren't there and you take him, I, I would not you know get I would not get upset at all. Absolutely, very good, very good. All right, let's get to our third pass rusher. Um, intrigued by this guy because of his speed. 
um, which is incorrect on here. <laughs> Isn't his speed 4.4? I think I messed that up. Yeah, he, but, yeah, he ran a 443 at the combine with a 162 10 yard split. Exactly. So I need to correct that. But uh, one of the problems with uh, Byron Young from Tennessee is his function of strength. Does he have enough of it to succeed in the National Football League? Danny, take it away. Well, this guy's got an interesting, interesting player. I mean, you know, his background, you know, he didn't – due to COVID, something happened where no Power 5 conference gave him a shot. So he ended up working at a Dollar General, and then all of a sudden he ended up playing at a, at a junior college. And then he's been at Tennessee the last couple of seasons. And, you know, you put on his tape, and, and he is athletic. I mean, this guy is chiseled. Uh, he's got a good, you know, good get off in terms of, you know, that, that first that process. But he's he's a developmental guy. He's a guy that that's still learning. And, you know, you can see here, you know, if he doesn't beat you with the speed and he doesn't get the edge on the outside, he doesn't have much in terms of a counter move. He doesn't have much pass rush. You know, he's still learning the, the position. And plus, you look at his size, 6'2", 250, that, that with 32-inch arms, that screams three, four outside linebackers. So, uh, you know, as much as concern I had with, with Will Anderson in terms of being a fit, not so much the weight, it's just the the arm length and, and the position, you know, you know, can he be a hand in the ground defensive end? I just I just don't see I see him more as a three, four outside linebacker. But again, he's a guy that's developing, it's learning. He's not gonna be a guy that's gonna come in, I feel, and, and be an instant, you know, pass rush impact kind of player, as opposed to a guy like Will McDonald that we just talked about. So, you know, I, I have you know, he's a he's a developmental kid for me. He's not a guy that I you know I see going in, in either, you know, day one or or maybe late day two, third round, but I don't, I don't see him going in the first or second round. Hmm. What do you think, Neil? Yeah. Uh, I was going to no, say, what do you think, Danny? <laughs> I should have yeah, said, what do you think, Danny? <laughs> definitely not Danny over here. Like, we, we like backward stats, but we're not the same guy. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the thing about it is, is you're going to see him play, obviously, in a three-point stance on film, but you know, out of two-point stance, outside linebacker, rush end, you know, type, type of deal, what we used to do with the old – you know, group that was here in Chicago, it'd probably be a, a you know a lot better of a fit for him. You know, honestly, I'm not too big a fan of Byron Young. You know, I I really don't like uh you know his feel for the game, and I understand that he is a developing guy, and and uh, you know he's got he's got a lot to grow into, so to speak. But uh, you know, some guys have really good instincts, and are yeah. that have a nose for the ball, and 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 are able to make plays based on their athletic ability, and and you know this kid. Like Danny said, doesn't have anything in terms of a counter move, doesn't have a secondary plan. He doesn't really have anything in his toolbox that will allow him to get home without using his speed and athletic ability. You know, he very easily gets neutralized uh, and very easily gets washed out. Um, right. To me, loses low impact ball. player. He loses the ball. Do what now? He loses the ball post snap as well. It doesn't always locate 100%. Properly. And that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't feel like he has a really good feel for the game. You know, there's, there's, there, there's guys that are raw that have you know, really good instincts. So they, they just have a nose for it. I don't, I don't see that with this kid. I, he, he gets lost way too easily. And again, he gets neutralized way too easily as well. You know, you, yeah. you, you like, you know, a little, a little, some things about his size and his testing numbers and everything else, just things that jump off the screen. But, you know, to me, he's a liability if he ends up in Chicago. He's got traits that that defensive line coaches are going to love, and and you can just take that you know, speed, that get off, that you know, again, the the uh, the body. He's chiseled physique, but uh, he's a guy that you're going to have to coach up and and just kind of you know start, start from scratch in terms of you know building up his his you know pass rush repertoire. You know, talk about you know certain you know, keys and reading his keys and being able to kind of be you know being a, a two way defender. So yeah, he's got a long ways to go. And as I was like, I I don't see him as being a guy you know with those first four picks that we have being an option because again, I want someone that's going to be instant impact. Uh, on the field next season. I think this guy would be, would take some time to, for him to get on the football field. 
Yeah, I'm glad we talked about this because it's one of my concerns heading into this draft is if we are going to take uh, an offensive lineman in round one, then it's really imperative to try to move either back into the first round, late in the first round, or high up in round two because what is going to happen around the middle of round two is there's going to be defensive edge rushers who are – capable of potentially being excellent players but they're as there's they they come with such big question marks uh and somebody asked about isaiah mcguire you know isaiah mcguire i think is one of the guys who perhaps has fewer question marks than some of some of the guys we talked about today what do you think danny yeah i'm, I'm a fan of isaiah mcguire again he's another guy that that's a little bit raw uh, but but he's got the size, he's got the length, he's got the you know good sub good off, and he's got physicality at the point of attack, and that's one thing I, I liked about him. I, you know, I did my profile on him. And I think he's a guy that, again, uh, a guy that, that you can come in here and you can put him into the system and, and get him you know to the point where he's he could be a starter for you potentially. He's got again the size to put his hand in the ground, be a full time defensive end. Uh, he doesn't have the, the the bend and the quickness like a Will McDonald or some of these other guys, but you know it gives you a, you know good effort in terms of coming off the edge and, and being a, a pass rusher. But again, he's a guy that you know, you kind of have to build up and, and get out there in the football field. So, you know, there are guys that you can probably bring in here just based off of their traits and, and stuff you see on tape and, and kind of hope to develop them and, and grow them. But with the Bears, man, they're such an, in a situation. Where that's why we were doing these mock drafts a couple weeks ago. You know, you set there at number nine, you made a pick, and now you're waiting. And you're seeing all these guys that you could use, whether they're in, interior defensive linemen, you know, edge rushers, you know, other guys that, that you know, possible corners in the second round that just go off the board. And you're like, man, it, you know, they really, it's imperative for him to get that, that second round pick back somewhere in that 32 to, you know, 40 range if he can. Uh, that's why, you know, I, I think a, a trade back would, would be great. But again, you, you need, you know, you need two to, to tangle there or see if a team wants to actually come up and give up anything to, to move up. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's a good segue to our next and final topic, and we'll, we'll answer some of the questions that I've collected over the course of the show after this. But I wanted to get your temperature. Uh, what could potentially be the best case scenario for the Chicago Bears? Uh, what are you hoping will happen at this NFL draft for the Bears? And I'll just add this very quickly. Given that I think this is a critical year for Justin Fields to determine whether you're going to give him a Jalen Hurts-type contract, you've got to provide him with the very best protection so that he can totally focus on, um, on, on, on completing his role as the quarterback. And so the great thing about this draft is, in my opinion, there are four offensive linemen who are scheme fits who could go in the first round. So... At nine, if you do trade down two, three, four, five spots and then get that early second round pick, then you've got an opportunity to still land one of those offensive linemen and then attack the defensive line early in the second round. That to me would be my best case scenario. Neil, what is yours? That is exactly a scenario that I tried to execute last week when we did the mock drafts. Let's mm -hmm. uh, get. Uh, a trade down scenario to where you're somewhere between 15 and 25, or maybe even, you know, a little bit further on back towards the end of the first round, but get between 15 and 25, move up into 
the higher edge of, of, of the second round so that you're able to get a, a, a starter right tackle. You're able to get a defensive lineman, preferably an edge rusher. Um, there's going to be defensive tackles and, uh, you know, type prospects, three tech type prospects that aren't listed as such right now, but that's where they're going to end up in the second round, you know, potentially where we could fall at 53 if we still have that pick. I mean, ultimately that, that, that is what it is. We need impact players, you know, as it stands right now, we have six picks in the first four rounds. You know, coming out with immediate impact players at defensive end, at defensive tackle, at right tackle, those are imperative. Get uh, if, if you're able to then uh, figure out a way to get a, a pair of impact interior offensive linemen and then a, a corner, you know, potentially a, a replacement at safety for Eddie Jackson. Um, not sure exactly what Poles is thinking in terms of his contract, but it seems like uh, he could be another guy that, you know, down the road could be a chopping block guy. Um, not going off anything I've heard, just, you know, specifically just, you know, you, you kind of have to pay attention to where the smoke is coming and there's a little bit of smoke around that. So um, impact players uh, across the offensive front, the defensive front, and then uh, attack the secondary. And I think if you're able to get, if you're able to max out um, those, those, uh, those, especially the first three rounds, you know, day one, day two, get immediate impact guys in the trenches and in the secondary, I think that's your first, you know, case scenario, your, your, your best case scenario, so to speak, you know, as the as the plans align and Poles finds players high on the board at all those draft positions, I think that would be absolutely amazing. Um, and then you know who knows what's going to happen in terms of uh, deals that could, could potentially be, you know, from now until next Thursday or actually on draft day. Uh, but yeah, what you said, Aldo, is exactly what I try to execute in in uh, my mock drafts. Figure out a way to get into the the middle or you know late middle of, uh, of the first round there. Get your right tackle. Get to the early at, uh, part of the second round. Get your edge rusher. Find a find a three technique, and then you know pepper the rest of your picks, you know, on day two and early day three with uh, immediate uh, impact interior guys, secondary guys, which you know, mid to late day two, early day three, that's when the run on on the corners will go. So be, and, and this class is so deep at the cornerback position, and that's a position that Poles has said is a premier position that he wants to attack, and he hasn't done anything with it yet. You have to imagine that he's going to go after a corner in, in this draft. So I'm going to look out for that as well. Danny, what's your scenario? Yeah, my best case scenario, obviously, and I don't think it's realistic, is, is it one of those three players, defensive guys, Tyree Wilson, you know, Jalen Carter, or Will Anderson Jr. is available there somehow, some way. But I, I, it's not realistic. So I, my best case scenario would be at nine then, like you guys are saying, is, is to trade down. But but I would now just trade down in the middle. Of the, I would, if I could, trade down in the 20s, you know, at somewhere if a team wants to come up that high because now the, the farther I go down, the more I get. You know, I get a second round pick mm -hmm. this year, maybe get a first round pick next year. Who knows what, what could you know happen? And again, that's why like I was talking to with Mark. The 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 meat of this draft is between 25 and 55, 60. That's where you get a ton of players. And if you can stack picks in that area, right now, say if you go down to 25, I'm just picking a, a number here, for example, you get a second round pick and you also get a, a, a future first round pick next year, for example. I'm just throwing stuff out there. Now in 25, you can get yourself the best available offensive lineman, defensive lineman, whether it's Miles Murphy, whether it's a Steve Avila, could be a, a, a potential all, all pro left guard for you you know depending on where, where you're at maybe that that corner is sitting there for you now in, the, in that 20 range you know uh maybe darnell right the, the tackle from from tennessee who is not an ideal fit for me but would be a I'd plug and play right tackle for you next year so in, the, in that 20 range and now you got that second round picks you got three second round picks now you can package like all of us talking about package a couple of those if there's a guy falling whether it's the you know the last pick in the first round 
I think the, the Chiefs have lost pick in the first round. You, you can probably, you know, make a deal there, package two of those second round picks, move up, and now get another player. Could be your edge edge defender. Could be if you get the defensive lineman first, and you can get, you know, kind of do do that way, work the board that way. But my thing is, if you're gonna trade down, trade way down, get into that meat of that that you know late late first round, early second round kind of area and accumulate more picks in there. And now you can start filling holes with guys that could potentially come in and start next year. And you talk about corners. You know, one of my worst case scenarios is, is if the, the three guys are gone, the, the top offense lineman on their board, whoever it is, it could be gone. And then now you're sitting there at number nine. Guys, the best potential player on the board could be a cornerback. And, you know, and then, and if Paul's just sitting there and have to make a pick, I, I think he would go, you know, best player available. And you couldn't blame him because he's got to go corner, even though I don't want a cornerback in, in the first round. You know, I'd, I'd rather go down in a second round and, and, and get like Julius Brents from, from Kansas State. Love that kid. You know, we talked about Tyreek Stevenson from Miami. I mean, uh, Tavius Martin, who I know he's listed as safety, but, you know, he's a guy that can play some nickel corner for you as well. We talked about Clark Phil. I mean, that's a ton of corners, Darius Rush, that you can get in the day two and day three of this draft. So that's why I think the, 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 the best potential is to hopefully trade down. Now, if those three defensive players are gone and an offensive lineman is gone, that means one of the quarterbacks is there. And that's where things get interesting. Now we'll see is all this rumor, all this talk about, you know, teams like, you know, if Houston passes on, on the quarterback for the second pick, are they going to be willing to trade up? Is Tampa Bay looking to trade up from 19, you know, teams like that, maybe Washington, you know, maybe even some team in a 20, you know, I wouldn't trade with Minnesota because they're in the division. I don't know if I want to face this guy twice a year, but you know, some, a team in a 20 can want to just try to come and get their, you know, get their guys. So it's curious to see what happens. That's where I want to see. It's going to be those first four, you know, first five picks are going to be real, real interesting to see in terms of, you know, what happens there, how it plays out for the Bears. So. Now, I've got uh, the draft order in front of me. If the Bears were to move down to 20 with the Seattle Seahawks and also acquire the second round pick from Seattle and then maybe give Seattle, you know, a third rounder. And... No, 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 no. You're going down 11 spots. You should get this 20 and a second round and maybe even get something for next year. Okay. So that's that's my hope then is if Seattle uh, if you can if we can acquire Seattle's twenty and thirty seven, then I think we can get the players that we want. Right. I don't, and, care, and, I don't and, care how we get it, but those, and, and those Seattle could be going. There. Seattle could be going. You know, say for example, they go Jalen Carter at five. They could be then going back at twenty and trying to get their quarterback. Right. And then, you know, they're, they're you know, if, it, if it's Will Levis or if it's Anthony Richardson, if he drops and that could be a, 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 a potential partner there, although that's a good call because that could happen. Or vice versa, if they go Richardson number five and now there's a, you know, Jalen Carter is there and then I say, you know, what, we want Carter and they'll give them tw- the Bears a 20 and the Bears will recoup that second round pick number 20 and then possibly a future pick next year, whatever it could be, just how the, the, the math works there. That would be an ideal situation because now you're in 20 at 20. Now you could go with, you know, could be a, it could be a, a Miles Murphy. It could be a Lucas Van Ness. It could be a, a Donnell Wright. It could be Steve Avila. Will McDonald. You know, th- those are you know those are the guys in that area they can probably look at. You know, and then that that would be ideal, I think, for in, in terms of my best case scenario for the Bears, just to get more get more picks and get more chances to to you know strike gold here with these these uh, these players. Would you be okay if the Bears missed out on one of these four uh, offensive tackles? Uh, Anton Harrison, Paris Johnson, um, um, Broderick Jones, and the fourth guy being Darnell Wright, and instead had to settle for a second rounder like Matthew Bergeron? 
I, I, it depends on what I'm getting back. I'm assuming I'm getting back a haul in terms of draft picks. In, in that case, yes. But if I'm just getting a third round pick to go mm-hmm. down, you know, to 20, and then okay. and then I'm just gonna miss on those guys. No, I rather I rather stay there, get get my tackle of the future, and do that. But if I'm gonna get a second and a first and a possible future pick as well, that's you know I gotta see what the return is gonna be. Again, you know, we could we could say these teams want to trade up, but again, until they have to come up and, and actually put put forth the capital, the draft capital, you know, we, you know, we'll have to kind of see what happens there. But yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with a Matthew Verdron in, in that in that third round, or maybe a, you know a Warren Carter uh, or Carter Warren, I should say, in, in the fourth, fifth round from Pitt, and a, a, another big tackle prospect. You know, you know, there's Asim Richards from North Carolina. He's he's mainly a a, a, a left tackle. He's six four. Some some like him more inside a guard. I, I think he could play left tackle. He's got 34 plus inch arms. He's got the feet. He's got the legs. I, I think he's a guy that could probably get in the third, fourth round as well. So, I mean, there, there are some prospects here. And again, you're, you're looking the way the bears are looking right now is at least what they're talking right now is, is talking about moving, you know, white hair over to center, plugging in Tevin Jenkins at left guard. And now you need a right tackle. So I don't know how, how concrete that plan is. It, it might not be concrete. So you might need multiple players to, to fill multiple positions, but the more cracks you have at this at this with more picks, I think you have a better shot at, at filling those holes. All right. We got about 10 questions from the chat. Let's try to get through these as quickly as possible. Cliff asks, how much difference between round one guys and day two guys? So let me let me extend that question a little further, Neil. I, I there's probably about nine blue chip players in this draft. Um, give or take, right? So what is the rest of the first rounders? How much of a difference is is there in talent between the top half of the second round? You know what I'm trying to say? Um, I'm trying to so that these discussions that we're having about maybe trading down uh, if there are no blue chip mm-hmm. players of, available – is is there a considerable difference in talent between the top second round guys and the bottom first round guys after nine or 10? Uh, not necessarily. I, I think the way you look at it is uh, you're always going to have a, a discrepancy between number of picks in the first round and number of players that are first round, you know, grade type guys, you know, you're, you're not, it, it's never going to be perfectly packaged that way. Um, the, the thing about it is, is that the guys that are probably going to definitely be day two guys are the ones that have a lot of first round type talent, but have some question marks, you know, um, when, when, it, when it comes to size, when it comes to length, when it comes to, uh, you know, field productivity, um, you know, play history, uh, you know, any, any number of things could, you know, come to mind in, in terms of why, you know, uh, a, a GM would ask a lot of questions about a, a particular player. You know, the thing is, is that if you're going in the first round, you better be 100% a guy who's going to be an impact guy immediately. You know, we're talking about, you know, difference-making type guys immediately. And, if, you know, for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one, that's your number one pick in the draft. But also, number two, um, owners forking up a lot of freaking money now for that for that first-round pick. Not only for salary, but also your signing bonus is eight figures. And mm-hmm. it, it's vast. It, it's very quickly approaching, you know, uh, a, a quarter. Uh, you know, I think uh, what was the top signing bonus last year? Like twenty-two, I think. Sounds Just well, three right? years ago, the top signing bonus I think was uh, was it like fifteen, fifteen to eighteen somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So I mean, just like that, just like the contracts. I mean, we, we saw what happened with Jalen Hurts this week. He's now the highest paid you know player in the history of football. 
You know, mm-hmm. we see these contracts just the bar keeps raising every single year. So the same thing happens with signing bonuses. The same thing happens with the first round money. So you better be damn sure that 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 guy that you're taking in round one is going to come in and, and you know play immediately. You know, mm-hmm. because uh, otherwise, right? It's obviously a waste of money. But again, that's your first pick. You you need immediate impact. You need immediate fixes, and that's why you're taking that particular player in the first round. For for me, in, in terms of taking out the quarterbacks, because I, I obviously I don't think the quarterbacks are for me. At least I don't think any of them are blue chippers. I mean, just position players. I think there are about seven or eight position players that are that are blue chippers in this draft. So you're talking about the top half of that first round. So that's what I'm saying. Like the meets and fields in terms of like the guys in the second round are, are between 25 and 60, where you get a lot of these guys that are gonna you know that are considered second round, late first round that are gonna come in and actually outperform you know their their draft status or where they are picked. So I think that's that's why if I get in the meat of that. That meet of that that second that late first early second round or mid second round I should say area with multiple picks you know that that's where I want to be and again if, if you can do that with Ryan Poles that that'll be a you know a great move to to do because you know like I said you're not a one player where you're not a, a, a blue chip defensive tackle away you're not a blue chip left tackle away from being a, a Super Bowl contender you are multiple players away I mean your defense you have no one on defensive line right now you have, I mean if you line up around you have you have a, you have a journeyman uh, Billings a defensive tackle who's just a, a you know a occupier of blockers you have a guy the Marcus Walker who's you know just signed as a free agent who on, a, on his third or fourth team you, you have no one on the defensive line so that's the thing is like you have to build so much on a defensive front and and you know talk about some of the holes on, on the offensive line we've talked about the corner they need we talked about you know we haven't talked talk about tight end they need a tight end here as well i think they only have two tight ends or maybe possibly three on the roster chase so, allen know. is the third one i believe so i mean you know, i think you could you could supplement that position there as well you know um so it, it's just so much in need and i just you, you know that top nine pick if you can take that and cascade that into multiple picks i think that's the best case scenario for the bears all right, uh, I'm going to keep this one with Danny because I know he's done a lot of work on Keon White. J-Rock asks if he moves to three-tech, where do you rank him then among the three-techs in this draft? He's a guy physically – well, that's why I, I see him. I see him as a three-tech, especially in this in this bear scheme. He's a guy physically right now could come in and probably, you know, help you run defense. You know, he's a guy, again, developmental guy. Uh, he used to be a tight end. You know, you know, you know, now he's you know playing defensive end at, at Georgia Tech. Uh, he's got the measurables. He's got the athletic ability. I think you just plug him in there and you just develop this kid and let him get better. And I think initially he'd help you out, again, as a run defender and then eventually just get better and better as, as a pass rusher. But in terms of where, where I have him in my rankings right now, I think he's about, looking at him, I think he's about fourth or fifth right now uh, behind, obviously, Carter and then uh, – there's there's the uh, there's Thule and then there's you know the uh, Benson kid from uh, uh, from Wisconsin and Mozzie Smith and so it's and he's in that in that mixture there as well but uh, yeah he's a guy that that for me is, is a defensive tackle some see him as a as a end you know some see him as a as a five technique in a three four system some see him as a, a guy you can kind of you know split out as, as a wide nine and have him rush off of there I, I don't see that but uh, yeah for me I kick him inside and right away he, he improves your run defense and then eventually can get better in, in terms of as a pass rusher. Very good. All right, let's move on. Uh, I'll give you this one, Neil. How do you think the Bears are likely to take their first four picks? What would you think if they t- devoted those just to the trenches? I wouldn't be upset about it whatsoever. As much help as we need, as many holes as we need to fix on the offensive defensive line right now, I would welcome the first four picks being being trench picks. And think about it. If if the if the, the scenarios that we're talking about tonight, trading back into the into the, the later part. Of, uh, of of uh, round one, um, as Danny said, I, I like that word you use, cascading the picks. 
Yeah, that was good. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very pleasant, very pleasant yeah. thought. Yeah. Very pleasant uh, mental well, image comes to mind. You know, you get a you get a bunch of picks then in between, you know, twenty five and and uh, you know fifty five. Which uh, again, like you know, like you said, Dan, I I agree. There's a ton of of uh, depth in that range in the draft. I think you can even go past fifty five. They can go, you know, damn near all the way up to a hundred. Um, but like you know, so let between, me let me ask. Let me add to that. To let me Go add to it. that, Neil. So, it, do, would you be upset if they devoted a first round pick to a skill player, a wide receiver, a running back? Not a wide receiver. Uh, where, where is he going to play? We, we, we just signed our 13th wide receiver in this class. I mean, what, what, are, we, what are we doing here? <laughs> um, the court, the core position is, is intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Because we obviously have massive holes in the secondary as well, but I feel like the the biggest issues we have right now. And I know if I say take a, a, a DB anywhere ahead of, of pick fifty three, Danny's gonna rip my ass. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to say I want to go I'm ahead and take a, a DB anywhere before fifty three. But the you know, thing about it is, I just feel like the the biggest holes that we have are are in the trenches, and that's where the most work needs to be done. Therefore, that's where all the all the effort needs to be kind of centralized, honed in on in the, in this draft. And if you can get, like, like I said, in my best case scenario, if, if you can get, if you can get four impact players immediately on the offensive defensive line. Obviously, you need a right tackle. Obviously, you need a defensive end. Get a three technique and get an interior guy. If those are your four first picks, or your first four picks, I should say, I'm I'm ecstatic about that. Yep. Yeah, Indeed. if the first four picks are all offensive defense alignment, I will be also ecstatic because that means Ryan Poles is a man of his word because he's a guy who says that he's going to fix the trenches mm-hmm. and that's that's what you have to do. You know, you take a receiver or that's what it's not that the, the corners in the first round aren't you know aren't good. I mean, I, for me, Devin Weatherspoon is, is yeah. my top corner as opposed to Christian Gonzalez, but it's just that you need you know, without a pass rush. I don't care. You can have you know. Uh, Ty Law back there. You can have, you know, uh, Deion Sanders in his prime. If there's no pass rush, these receivers are going to get open. Now, it doesn't matter what your corner does. Now, that's why I, I didn't understand in terms of the way Poles is fixed, you know, kind of you know, building his team. He's building it backwards from the defensive backfield last year with the first two picks. And then this year, his big big signs are our linebackers, you know, and and, I, and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, all right, then, then he's got to be, you know, attacking the defensive front with the draft. And if you go and you, and you use a, a first round pick on a receiver or a running back, or even a corner at that point. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you need to build the trenches. And, you know, if your offensive defensive line sucks, your team sucks. I've said this multiple times. You've got to invest. And if your first four picks are, for example, just throw names out there, Steve Avila, you know, Thule, you're talking about, you know, guys like, you know, Will McDonald. You know, th- these are guys that can help you right up front, right away. You know, Paris Johnson, for example. These are the guys you need right now to, to build this team and, and build this core. And it's, it's got to go. You have to go offense or defensive line with the first four picks. Uh, a running back or a receiver early would, I think, drive all of us absolutely batshit crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, if this was if this was a very limited corner class, I, I could maybe stretch to try and pretend to understand taking a corner early. But we've talked several times before about this corner class; it's so deep. You can find guys in in between thirty and hundred. Not that you're going to take a guy as high as thirty, but I mean, you know, day two to you know early uh, day three guys. 
that the, mm-hmm. the corner class is so deep. And yeah, there's going to be a run on corners. And yes, there's there's going to be more corners available at the beginning of day three. And yes, we'll have options to go ahead and take guys early day three. That could potentially be a, a starter nickel. That could potentially be a star on the outside, depending on what Pulse does with that corner room after the draft. Again, there, there's a lot of smoke about potential things that could happen. But I think that you know, when, when you when you look at the depth at a position that is further on down the list of, of need than what we absolutely need to attack on day one and day two, you know, that, that is, that's far further, far, far, far below, you know, the, uh, the pecking order. I, I feel the, the one curious thing and talk about smoke. And this is, this is coming by the surprise a little bit where uh, Ron Rivera came out and said that they'll decide on the option, the fifth year option of, of chase young after the draft on May 2nd. That's interesting. So I'm, I'm curious, is that, does that mean there's a potential trade there for either the, the young you know, player or possibly someone else on the defensive line? So keep an eye and see what happens there. Washington's very curious. I mean, they're sitting right there in the middle of that first round. They have a, a surplus of defensive linemen that they could probably package up with their pick to if they want to move up. I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there, spitballing here real quick. But, you know, that's curious. That caught my, caught my attention today. And then I want to see what happens with, with Washington at that pick there at 16. I know they said Sam Howell is their starting quarterback, but I, I can't believe they're going to be comfortable going into the season with Sam Howell as their starting quarterback. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with that pick in, in Washington specifically. J2K. Did anything surprise you out of Washington? No, <laughs> I mean, absolutely not. J2K is convinced that BJ Argelari is going to be a pass rushing stud. If Will McDonald is a good fit, could Argelari? What do you think, Neil? Uh, Danny, I, I want you to you explain this very well last week. I, I, I want you to put it in your vernacular. For for me, uh, Ajalari is is a guy that again another guy that I see as as a three four guy, an outside linebacker. You know, he's a guy that 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 shows the ability to, to get after the quarterback, but but he's not really, um, you know, he's not really polished. And 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 the thing I like about Will McDonald is because of you know, and and Will McDonald has better bend around the edge and in the corner. He's got the, the longer arm length as well. So I think everything you you put together, I think I can see Will McDonald adding ten pounds and being a, a defensive line, a hand and ground defensive line. I don't see. Algelari being that type of player, so uh, you know, I, I think he's he's a he's a better athlete than 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 a, than a football player, to be honest with you. And I, I just think that you know, while all, you know his tape is 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 good, you know, it's not bad. I, I I just don't see a guy that that's got the pass rush repertoire of a guy like a like a Will McDonald or even the uh, Ozuma kid from Kansas State. So that, that's why I have those guys higher on my list than than, than Algelari. So nicely explained. All right. Uh, J2K wants to also know if Carter, Jalen Carter, falls to number nine in the Bears drafting. Would you be excited or concerned? Neil Stopchinski, start with you. Yeah, we touched on this when Mark was on with us. And I, I feel like, you know, like we, we were talking about, if you put it in a vacuum and you just look at what uh, the kid does on the field, when he's in it, when, you know, he's in his prime playing, uh, you know, situation, you know, his, his weight is right. He's he's he doesn't have anything else floating, you know, above his head legally. He is an absolute stud. He's 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 an absolute uh, you know difference maker. I think the where I I will I, th- I think two weeks ago we talked about this a little bit, and, I, and the way that I phrased that was if the Bears go ahead and take him at nine, then that means the meeting between him and Poles went very well two weeks ago. And Paul's got all the questions answered, and he's very comfortable with the situation, and with the storyline, and where with where specifically Jalen Carter's head is at. You know the optics right now are not good whatsoever. 
right? He didn't participate in the combine because he had to, he had to go down to Georgia, turn himself in, come back, was there for interviews, didn't work out. Shows up to his pro day, overweight, was too gassed to finish the workout. And, you know, there, there's a lot of red flags that, that fly up around the, those specific, you know, situations. Uh, but I feel that if Poles goes ahead and pulls the trigger on Jalen Carter at nine, then he's he's extremely comfortable with the entire situation. The questions are answered. He vetted it out to the furthest extent that he possibly could. And, you know, hopefully that means that it's going to be a non-issue. And at that point, I'll feel comfortable. Because I, th- I think there's one thing that we've learned about Ryan Poles over the course of the past you know, year and a half is that the guy is very disciplined and he's very, you know, uh, uh, calculated in the moves that he makes. He has a plan. And, and, and if there's anything that doesn't fit within the plan, He's not going to stretch. He's not going to lunge. He's not going to, uh, you know, cut off his nose to spite his face, so to speak. So, yes, I'll feel good about it. Dandy, you got a thought? Finishing thought? I would, I would love Jalen Carter if he's there, number nine. And if the if the Bears do take him, then I agree, Neil, hundred percent. That means that the the one on one with them, that they, you know, he answered their questions. They have, you know, they don't have any concerns that they feel like they can bring him into a, a situation where they, they could have, you know, his coaching staff or or his teammates go ahead and, and kind of, you know, kind of mentor him and control. The, the, the only thing we forget is, is the kid is what 21, 22 years old. I forgot his age. You know, he's, he he made some dumb mistakes. He, he is a college kid, and we just can't just say, all right. You know, throw him out with with the bathwater. He's a guy that you got to, you know, give him a shot. And again, it all depends on what that sit down. How that, that I believe it was two days that he spent here with the Bears. So I think I don't know if that's just that's that's normal or if that's just something that they planned out prior to that. And so I, I feel like they did their due diligence in terms of you know this kid and, and his character and how he would fit in the locker room and all that stuff. And if, and if he's there at nine and the Bears pass, and obviously that tells us what they thought in the, the interview that didn't go well. They they couldn't trust the kid. So I think I think if you take him at nine, I I agree with Neil said that that you know polls. Is is going out on a limb there, saying I trust this kid, and I think my, my coaches and, and the players in this locker room can go ahead and control him as well. So, I got to say that I, I I'm going to withhold judgment until I hear the posts draft press conferences to learn more about how that interview process went. Because if teams that are also looking at Carter and would love to have Carter on their roster bypass him and he's still available at nine, that to me is a red flag. So I will withhold judgment until I hear what Poe says, until I hear what the young man says, and and also what I hear from some of the other coaches, uh, some of the other GMs when they're asked that question, why did you bypass Jalen Carter? So it's it's a tough tough situation, but there is no doubt at all that if he checks out, if he's he's if he's a halfway decent human being like Neil Stopchinski is, then I want him on my team. <laughs> all right, uh, that's Neil. I passed now too, although I turned out to be yeah. all right. Yeah, indeed. If, oh my gosh, I don't think you did as many dumb things as me. I, I was I'm, I was doing dumb things last night. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, what's the scoop at some point? There you go. Jordan wants to know uh, from you, Neil, what's the scoop on Emmanuel Forbes? I imagine you had something to do with or at least knowledge of his recruiting down at Mississippi State. Yeah, so he he measured in at his pro day at 170, and he has had several top 30 visits to uh, various clubs. And uh, one of the clubs who I actually got the word of uh, Will McDonald's uh, pro day wave, said that uh, they loved uh, having Emmanuel around, um, doing a phenomenal job on his visit. Um, great kid, stud, 
has to fill out but elite ball skills. Um, mm. And I think I, I, would, I would think that there is plenty of smart humans in the NFL that are thinking along those same very lines that will take him pretty high just because he does have the elite ball skills. You know, perfect example of difference between a first round player and a second round player. You know, he's got first round talent, but he's got some question marks. You know, is he going to be able to fill out enough to be um, and, you know, to, to, to be uh, a productive player against the run, for instance? You know, the, the 170 worries you if, if you have Derrick Henry barreling down the pipe, right? Um, but uh, I, I think that generally speaking, what you have is a, is a variation of, uh, of uh, uh, grades in terms of round on the kid. I think that there's no denying the talent that, that, he, that he put on the field, his, uh, his ball production. Um, he has the FPS record for interceptions in a season and I think uh, in a career right now. Um, there, there, there's no denying that he is an absolute impact player and a stud as a corner at the college level. It's just a matter of, you know, do they have the right plan in place to get him to where he needs to be physically? And I think the, the, the smart humans in the league will, will figure that out pretty quickly. We'll take him pretty high. I don't think he gets out of round two. All right. Last question, guys. Let I us keep going. It's up to you guys, whatever you guys want to do. All right, and I got two or three more, so let's go with this one. Uh, J2K says, who's one of your favorite prospects in this draft who isn't getting enough love and you'd like to shout mm. out? Both gentlemen are thinking about it right now. There's so many guys. Yeah, there's a lot of guys. You know, um, I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you one thing. There's been a lot of talk in the chat room about drafting a tight end, and there's so many good ones here that are like early – uh, day three guys that I would love to have on this uh, on this team. I've talked about the slow-footed Payne Durham, but what I saw at the, at, at the Senior Bowl was a guy that got open, a guy who's got really soft hands, a guy that uh, can block uh, well, and there are guys like uh, uh, Croft. Uh, he, he's another good good guy. Josh Wiley. Um you name it. There's just some some really good guys, and then uh, Danny brought to my t attention Jake Bobo, the wide receiver out of UCLA, and this guy looks like he could become a really sterling move tight end. Mm -hmm. He's being he's being mocked by the prognosticators in round seven. Some as a wide receiver, he ran like a four nine. So, you know, I really do believe he's a move tight end. He's got the frame to be a good blocker. Jake Bobo would be another interesting pick. Uh, Neil, uh, what, what do you got? What did, what did you say me or Danny? Uh, Neil. I said, Neil, oh. what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that, that, that tight end position, you know, it's very similar to corner. A lot of depth and a lot mm -hmm. of talent that's going to be available third round, fourth round, fifth round. Guys are going to come in and be immediate impact guys. I think last year I talked about that kid from Old Dominion. I think is incredibly intriguing. You know, maxed out uh, at, uh, you know, topper or uh, second best in, in every single testing category at the Combine. Absolutely blew up his pro day. Um, and in, in terms of, of, uh, of character, you know, top class. You know, he started off at Penn State transferred out of Penn State to Old Dominion to be closer to his family. Very blue collar, um, you know, uh, a work ethic, you know, type kid. I think he grew up on a farm, you know, something like that. I, I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but uh, it has that kind of feel to it, right? Just uh, very, very humble, uh, lots of humility, 
um, you know, high character kid. I love the Peyton Durham kid that, that uh, you know, we've talked about several times on the show. Um, watching all the Purdue that I have watched this year, the kid always stood out. Him and Charlie Jones are two guys that I would love to have in Chicago. Um, you know, Payne Durham, a little bit more of a traditional, you know, white type dude that I think has really soft hands and runs really good routes and can, you know, be physical in the, in the blocking game and also produce in the passing game. Uh, that the South Dakota State kid I really like. Is, was there another one from also North Dakota State too? I'm trying to remember mm, yes. off the top of my head. I don't want to have the list pulled up in front of me, but tight end. Um, about? The, yeah, yeah, tight end. Yeah, craft. Yeah, I don't, I don't love craft. Yeah, I'm thinking of. Uh, uh, the point is, is that there, there, there's a ton of depth, a ton of mid round depth of of long, athletic, uh, you know, productive in the passing game, physical in the blocking game type of guys in this draft, and you know, we'll, Noah we'll Gendroff. Noah Gendroff. Noah Gendroff. Yeah, I think that's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, Will Mallory from Iowa. Miami. Yeah, James Hart oh, the Laporta kid from from Iowa. I really like that kid too. Love him. Yes, um, that's my guy. Yeah. Sam Laporta. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll mess around enough and, and fall, you know, bass backwards into uh, in, into a tight end, you know, on day three somewhere, and we'll be pretty happy that we did so. Indeed. Yep. The, the guys I love, I've already talked about Thule. I've talked about Will McDonald. I've talked about, but some, some in terms of like you know, Julius Brents is a corner from Kansas State. I absolutely love. Uh, the guy's got some dog in him. He's got you know great length, thirty-four inch arms, six-one, two hundred pounds. Yeah, the guy, the guy can can play uh, zone, off man, can play you know cover. Uh, he's a guy that I really like a lot. Um, some guys on on uh, let's see, uh, Sam Laporte we talked about in terms of tight end. Um, Derek Hall, the edge rusher from Auburn. I think he's a guy that that can, can come in oh, and kid. contribute right away. Uh, again, he's easy guy in the second round range. There we talked about. Um, Steve Avila is a guard from TCU that that is really I, I thought he was may, might have been too big for this scheme, but you know, put his tape on and the guy's athletic. He's a people mover. He's a plug and play uh, left guard next next season for you, uh, Steve Avila, the guard from from TCU. Um, mean physical you know, dude, man. Yeah, Marvin Mims is here from Oklahoma. That that fourth round range probably is is a guy that I absolutely love. You know, gives you that that speed element. Jaden Reed we talked about. You know, in terms of you know his big play potential as a punt returner, as, as a guy that get the ball in his hands and make some, make some plays on the field. Uh, you know, um, Zach Pickens, that, that defense tackle from North Carolina. You know, big guy. You know, 6'4", 291 pounds, thirty four inch arms. You know, you, you think you look at him, you think, oh, this guy's uh, just you know like a big, big fat guy. But no, he, he's got some athletic ability to him. He's a guy that potentially, I think, you know, has the ability to get into those gaps and be a, a disruptor at, at, the, at the next level as well. So, a ton of a ton a ton of players that you know we talked about uh, that, that you can get in the second and, and third round. There's a you know late round uh, running back, you know, Valade from Arizona State, that are really high on in terms of his ability to come in and be a contributor here in the passing game as well as as, as actually running too. So. Um, you know, there's a ton of players, like I'm saying, like that, you know, that second and third round, even even some fourth, you know, uh, Redmond, the defense tackle from Oklahoma. You know, he's a guy that's got some injury stuff, you know, in terms of missing games with knee issues and, and some blood clots and all that stuff. But, you know, I got that, that again, you know, put on his tape and he flashes. You know, he doesn't have the 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 bend you look for or the, the, the lower, lower half flexibility for a three technique, but definitely a guy that can, you know, potentially get in that gap and, and make some plays too. So Redmond from Oklahoma is a defensive tackle you can probably get on day three as well. So a ton of play. Yaya Diaby is a guy from Louisville, defensive end. Absolutely went to the combine and blew up in terms of his, you know, his measurables and all that stuff. And, I, and again, a young 
physical defensive end that's that's developing and getting better. So I, I can go on and on here in terms of guys that haven't gotten any love but are, are going to be you know you know pretty good players at the next level. What what do you guys think about Garrett Williams out of Syracuse? He had the season-ending injury uh, in, in November, I believe, of last season. He won't. He probably won't be ready to play in 2023. But he was headed to be a second-round pick, and now it will probably be a fourth, maybe even fifth rounder because of the injury. Do you do you like the idea of? drafting somebody like that in the fifth round, stashing him and then having him ready to go, particularly if uh, Jalen Johnson isn't signed for the 2024 season. What do you think, Neil? Yeah, I think we have to do something um, in, in terms of multiple picks at, at, the, at the cornerback and, and even the, the safety position in this, in this draft. That I don't think that Poles is particularly committed to anybody outside of Jalen Bris- uh, yeah, Brisker um, in this, uh, in, in this uh, uh, locker room right now. In terms of the secondary, I think there's a lot of things that need to get figured out. I think Kyler Gordon has has a pretty pivotal year to you know prove himself as, at whatever position he ends up playing. And they they've kind of uh, experimented a little bit at uh, nickel. I always kind of felt that he was going to be an outside guy. Um, you know, it, he and you know again I, I keep saying it all the time. You know, referring back to that first maybe first second you know uh, uh, press conference that he had after the season, talking about uh, off season moves to be made talk specifically about the cornerback position. So I really feel that, uh, that that the secondary is going to be something that's going to be, uh, specifically tackled, um, potentially as early as round three, but I think it's, it's definitely going to be a day four or five around four or five, you know, type of deal where he really looks for, you know, one or two guys to come in and, you know, potentially, start, you know, play right away. Another yeah. thing, guy, guy who's injured who could, could come in and you can stash him is, is Andrew Verhees, the the guard from USC. I mean, that guy obviously that tore his ACL at, at the combine. He's a he's a technician inside, or whether it's it's left guard or right guard. He's a guy that can come in. And he, you know, he's sound in his pass pro. He's, he's he's pretty good in terms of you know as as a run a run uh, blocker as well. So Andrew Verhees is a guy won't play this year. I, I don't think he's going to play this year. But uh, again, you, you if you get him in the fifth round, if he drops that low, you know, you have extra picks there. You grab them, stash them, and then you have an offensive lineman that you can, you know, plug in now next season to go ahead and compete in one of those, you know, interior guard positions. All right, good way to end the show, guys. Uh, a two-hour mark exactly. Uh, you were very kind with your time. Thanks to Mark Schofield. Thanks to Neil Stachinsky, Danny Shimon. These guys will be here next week for round one of the NFL draft. John Buffon is scheduled to host. Although breaking news, John Buffon. In uh, training, he, he he boxes a lot. He was training. He tore his pec, and he will be going into surgery on Wednesday. So hopefully everything will be fine. If not, then uh, he won't be hosting our round one coverage, and perhaps I will. We'll figure something out. But uh, pulling for John to have a successful surgery and most of all, the Bears to have a successful draft. Guys, you're the absolute best. I will let you go, and uh, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Those of you out there, you will get alerts every time we're live, and we'll all see you next week. Take care, everyone.